That's fantastic. That's wonderful. That's happy Monday. You know what? It just played. I just checked it. It was just I know. I just heard you playing it. Ah, for the love. There we go. All right. Nice. I couldn't find any mob bosses. Well, Sergeant. Well, it's Lieutenant now. You really started something. Bank cops running scared. Hope on the streets. But the Narrows is lost. Now, I still haven't picked up Crane or half the inmates of Arkham that he freed. We will. We can bring up that. What about Escalation? Escalation. We start carrying semi-automatics, they buy automatics. We start wearing Kevlar. They buy armor-piercing rounds. Yeah. And you're wearing a mask. Jumping off rooftops. Take this guy Arm robbery, double homicide. Not a case for the theatrical like you. Leaves a calling card. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are tonight's entertainment. You learn the rules. Uh, it's all up to you. I can be a good guy, or I can be one real mean son of a bitch. It's all up to you. You're gonna get used to wearing them chains after a while, Luke. But you never stop listening to them clinking. Because they're gonna remind you of what I've been saying. Your own Wish you'd stop being so good to me, Captain. Don't you ever talk that way to me. Never! Never! What we've got here is failure to communicate. Some men... You just can't reach. So you get what we had here last week, which is the way he wants it. Well, he gets it. And I don't like it any more than you, man. Maybe we ought to call it No Ears. Why, hello, it is six minutes and 15 seconds after the hour of 11 in this, the month of February in the year of our Lord 2009. Thank you for coming along and making a part of your listening day. Live from the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM 970 to talk her. This, my friends, is the Rick Emerson Cavalcade of Whimsy and Amusements. Thank you for drawing near to be entertained. All right. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, friends, Romans, neighbors, countrymen, it is Monday, and welcome to Day 12. Thank you for uh, joining us today. 503-733-2970, if you'd like to be part of today's program, 
With the comments, questions, clarifications, ponderings, musings, ruminations. You'd like to talk about that weird thing that, uh, that insane uh, thing that, uh, what's her name, Reese Witherspoon was wearing last night. Oh, good Lord, that was terrible. Look, I'm a guy and not a tremendously stylish guy at that, and even I know that that was a bad outfit. First, and she also looked like she'd been, uh, what's the word, punched repeatedly. Like her eyes all blackened up and whatnot. And then she had this, it was like she was wearing some kind of packing tape underneath her dress. Okay, it was strange. At first, I thought that maybe her skin had just gone all shiny and foldy. Well, in any event, uh, we'll talk about the Oscars here in just a second. And uh, we will uh, give a recap on the whole weekend, which was pretty um, pretty action-packed. I mean, it, 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 like a hundred different ways. So that's coming up. It's 503-733-2970. If you'd like to be a part of today's program, Richie Bristol standing by, ready, willing, and able to pass along your observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, or the mundane. So uh, that is all uh, on the way. We'll also talk to see in a radio correspondent. James Roop today from Los Angeles. He was there at the Academy Awards last night. Uh, so we'll get his take on everything. Uh, we will attempt to uh, track down Peter Carlin from the Oregonian for uh, some discussion later on today. I just looked over at Richie Bristol to make eye contact so we could have an understanding that you were going to be talking to Peter Carlin and making sure that he was here at 2 o'clock. What's different about you? Oh, you know what's different. I can't. Richie, will you turn on your mic for a second? The... Sure. I'm looking at Richie Bristol. There's something different about you today. My eyebrows. What's what's? I was gonna say what's different. What's wrong with your eyebrows? There's nothing wrong with them. They're lovely. <laughs> well, that goes without saying, of course. Sarah, what's different about Richie today? He had his eyebrows lady shaped. Did you have your eyebrows waxed? Oh yeah, dude. He didn't just get them waxed. Your eyebrows are thinner than mine now. Did you? You didn't do that thing where you got them taken off and then you painted them back on, did you? That's no good. You don't want to do that. Hey, FYI, from every man everywhere to all ladies, you do that thing where you remove your eyebrows and paint them back on and you look like a weird freak. I'm just saying, I don't care who you are. I don't care who you are. I don't care what the rest of you looks like. I don't care what your friends told you. I don't care what the lady at the salon told you look good. If you, uh, like, have your eyebrows just waxed or stripped or shaved or whatever it is, that, and then you paint them back on, y- you look horrible. Okay, I'm not going to lie. The rest of you may look fantastic. Uh, you know, your body may be great. The rest of your face might look at least passable. You're painting your eyebrows on, you look like a clown. All right. Uh, you, Richie Bristol, don't look like a clown. You just sort of look sexy. It's strange. Gotta, I don't know. You gotta, He's like all like, butch looking, but he has lady eyebrows. Serious. The weird thing, because Richie, so Richie's wearing his, his Team Quest Fight Club uh, hat today, and look at, you know, the rest of you looks very masculine and you know, manly, and I would say more than a little slovenly. But then you just got, but then you just have, but then you just have this really like, you just have this delicate section of your face, like it's about an inch high and about six inches across. All right. Well, we'll talk about we'll talk about last night's uh, uh, Oscar Night USA uh, party, uh, which was at the uh, Hollywood Theater. We'll we'll discuss that here in a moment. But uh, anyway, CNN Radio correspondent Jim Roop uh, was at the Academy Awards last night. We'll talk to uh, him. We'll uh, talk to Peter Carlin for the Oregonian as well. Steve Kastenbaum will join us from New York City. Uh, what else is coming up today? Our good friend Chuck Knopf will be joining us. He will be uh, sitting in the newsroom today. Uh, we have a couple of top fives that have been uh, sitting around. We will endeavor to get to one or more of those. We have a Geek Watch coming up today, uh, Double Penis Watch coming up today. We have a Religious Nutcase 
watch on the way. Uh, we may or may not have another installment of uh, Facebook poetry, and somebody we know does yoga with Quetzal Levine. So, and I, here's how I know because I got a text message about it this weekend. It was, I guess, it was Saturday or maybe Sunday morning. It's all the whole weekend is drifting together for me for reasons that will be discussed here in just a moment. Also, you should know this. That I, Rick Emerson, uh, I managed to bite my tongue yesterday, and so now I'm doing oh, yeah, that thing. Of, the awards show. Yeah, it was, we were at at the Hollywood Theater last night, and about I don't know about an hour into the ceremony, I was doing something. I might have been eating something. I forget. And then it just uh, it took a big chunk out of my own tongue with my teeth, and so now I'm doing that thing of accidentally biting it over and over again. So that's a lot of fun because then you know that it's going to take like nine times as long to heal. So. So if at any point during today's program you wonder whether you're listening to the How's Your News guy uh, come in here and uh, attempt to do a talk show, it's just because I managed to uh, managed to mangle part of my own mouth because I'm really bright. Anywho, uh, it is uh, 503-733-2970. But yesterday during, I think it was I think it was during the, the, the section of the day when I was kind of getting ready and having my morning coffee or whatever, I got a text message from Lisa Wood at Rock 101 KUFO. And it was just sort of an FYI, Quetzal Levine is in my yoga class. And Quetzal Levine is the woman who had been at NPR for a long time. She'd worked at NPR for like 32 years. And she came and she did not even a news segment. She was just sort of a guest on the show last week or two weeks ago. And I'm not even going to say that it went badly. It was just sort of strange. It was just kind of an odd encounter that we had with her. And apparently Lisa didn't know who Quetzal Levine was, you know, by sight, because she'd heard her on the radio, but she didn't, you know, yoga class, you're not really talking a lot, you're just busy stretching and oming or whatever it is you do. And as Lisa would put it, at one point during the, uh, during the, during the yoga workout, she heard what she described as a nasal East Coast, uh, East Coast voice saying, where should my pubic bone be? And I guess the instructor said, well, uh, Quetzal, I'll come and show you here in a second. It's not like there's a whole lot of people named Quetzal in Portland, Oregon. So, anyway. Uh, and uh, this is all true. All right. It's uh, 503-733-2970. You can also email if you like. It's rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Sarah at 970.am. Or Richie with a T at 970.am. And uh, finally, before we plunge on in ahead to everything else, we have... Watchmen tickets we're going to be giving away. Yeah! That's the sound of win right there. So uh, we will be giving away Watchmen tickets. You want to be listening for that. And we also have I mean, there's so much cool stuff. We will announce the other uh, the other thing we're doing today is uh, this week's AM 970 listener bailout winner. Uh, of course, every week we are taking an involuntarily unemployed listener, and they will be winning something shiny from the pile of stuff here. Uh, today, somebody will be winning a TurboTax web card that includes prepaid access that can be used for one free federal and state preparation and e-file. TurboTax makes it easy to get your maximum refund. You can learn more at TurboTax.com. So, all right. It's all very exciting. We're joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented Sarah Stillen. Hello. How are you today? Hello. I'm doing very well. It was quite the exciting weekend. Uh, it really was. I And here's the thing is I thought I would be a lot more exhausted today because I didn't get all that much sleep last night, too, because I, I went home last night and I was so wired from everything mm-hmm. that had happened this weekend. And... I was just it was just all kind of jacked up around everything, and so I went home. And I, I I don't know. I got home at the I don't know the, the, the midnight or something, and I just sort of sat there and just kind of it's that thing when you get like remember after a listener party we'd go home, and you're just so cranked up 
by having just, you know, you've know, you been talking to people and you've been on stage and you've been doing stuff and you've been running around and following a schedule and just, you know, trying to make sure that everything gets taken care of and it's, you know, it's all, you know, then your endorphins just sort of keep firing late into the night. So, um, all right. So I'm reading an email here about the thing, about something I did last night. And if you'll forgive me for just one moment here, I'm going to take about five seconds where I say nothing. And I'm going to make sure there's something that happened last night after the Oscar ceremony. And I want to make sure that I can talk about it. So I checked with somebody before the program and I said, hey, can I talk about that thing we did last night? Um, all right. All right. All right. All right. Okay, there we go. Okay. So I can now tell the entire story of what I did last night after the Oscars. Uh, I needed to... I needed oh, yeah. I need a confirmation. Yeah, and I needed to make sure that all the people involved uh, were okay with being mentioned. Ah, uh, okay. okay. Well, in any event, uh, so I know it sounds a little bit fragmented today, but that's uh, you know that's to be expected. What with all the uh, what with all the excitement that happened over the weekend? It was quite exciting. Well, so let's back up. So uh, the Oscars <laughs> were last night, but we will lead up to that. How was the rest of your weekend, Sarah? Oh boy, well it got off to an interesting start. Um, so I went with a few of my girlfriends to. Uh, Star Souls on Friday. And by girlfriends, you mean Rick Emerson? Yes, but Rick Emerson, and then I brought yeah, Kelsey and Jessica and Heather. And uh, Richie decided to bring a couple drunk sluts, too, which was awesome. <laughs> really? Like, Richie's... Actually, not a couple, just one drunk slut. Uh, Richie's whole life could be sort of subtitled Drunks and Sluts, which, by the way, is something we propose every time there's a listener party uh, as the name and it never gets picked, but... Darcel and Richie Bristol, as we show Crystal, were doing the red carpet thing last night at Oscar in America, sort of like a low-budget Jonah Melissa Rivers uh, kind of a thing. And but none of us had ever been to Darcel's, which is sort of a legendary place. So, it's Portland institutions. So we're like, we might as well go. We Why might not? as well go right before we all what, have to work together. What could go wrong? What's the worst <laughs> that could happen? I don't know, Sarah Dillon. What What's the worst that could oh, happen? Oh, well, let's let's tell a story about the worst that could happen. So I'm so excited. Get there on time. Um, you know, I get there early, and I'm with, like, three of my friends, and they set us next to the stage. So there's all four of us. Sit next to the stage, see Poison Waters, and I'm just like, oh, it's Kevin, la, 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 you know. And Poison Waters is Kevin Cook, who came in to do the news with us a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And then had seen Darcel, and I'm like, oh, remember me? You know, it was nice to meet you the other day. And he's like, oh, yeah. You know, he's all, you know, flamboyant and all dressed up. And, and it's a place you hear so much about. If you, you know, I've heard about it for years. Like, I was so excited. Yeah. My friends and I were just, like, ecstatic to go. So we Let's sit as close to the stage as we possibly can. So they sit us next to the stage. Then, you know, you, like, Rick gets there late. Richie, you know, can bring some drunk chicken, and she's all, like, flailing around. She kept saying her first and last name, too, which is really annoying. Was she, like, a porn star or something? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so he brings, like, this drunk porn star. And I should say, by the way, so at Darcell's, so Laura and I got there late just because we were running late. We just had all kinds of stuff that was going on that night. So we get to Darcell's, and I have this real aversion to any kind of an act or a performance or entertainment that requires the audience to be part of the show. You know what I mean? It's, just like, it's like, you know, it's like sitting front row at a comedy club. That's another thing I don't do. You know, and, and, I, and that has nothing to do with my thing about comedians. It's just that I don't want to be part of the act. And it's not that I'm, a, you know, I'm, not, I don't, I'm not snooty. I'm not trying to be a jerk. But it's like if I go somewhere to be entertained, you know what? It's because it's at the end of the day or it's a weekend. And I'm trying to relax. I'm trying to have a good time. And so part of that is like me not having to do any work. And um, I told Sarah this uh, story. I went to a place that I will not identify because he's sort of 
because it wasn't really his fault. But I, I went to I went to a venue a while back that is run by a guy that I kind of know, and the venue itself was oh, really yeah, great. Yeah. You know where I'm talking uh, about. Yeah. And the venue itself was really cool. The, the, you know, the, the place was actually great. But the person who was performing that night decided that everybody who was there at the venue was going to have to be part of the uh, part of the gig. And so we're all sitting there, and we're having drinks, and we're talking to somebody, and it was a friend's birthday. And the entertainer on stage starts doing that thing of picking people out in the audience and asking them questions during her set. She's like, so, what's your name? And my, name is, uh, my name is the guy that came here to be entertained, not to have to do any work, so why don't you sing for me? And the, I have this whole thing about the entertainers who want to make the audience part of the act involuntarily. So when Lara and I were on the way to Darcell's, we were running late anyway, but we very deliberately sat in the middle of the crowd, like 20 feet back from the stage. And Richie was already there with, I don't know, some slut. Oh, drug slut. And then Sarah and a handful of your friends, were you, you guys were all there right at the edge of the stage. I mean, if you'd been forward two more inches, you would have been on the stage on Darcell's shoes. Yeah, no, we were really excited. Like, we had the... Yes. Right yeah. there in the firing line. Right there in the firing line. So we're just like so excited we're there. <clears throat> the show starts. <sighs> and so there's this drunk lady from Georgia sitting behind me mm-hmm. with her, um, who she kept saying over and over again, her gay boyfriend. She's like, my gay boyfriend, my gay boyfriend. Where can I get a tattoo? Do you know where I can get a tattoo at this time of night? I want a tribal butterfly on my hip. And she was talking to us, like before the show, we're like, okay, whatever, we're talking to a lady from Georgia, it's fine. So the show starts, and like we kind of are like, okay, we're gonna watch the show now. So we're we're sitting there watching the show, and like they did a couple song and dance numbers. Then Darcel comes out, you know, in all this flamboyant glory. Oh, nine foot tall Phyllis Diller. Oh my God! Oh, he looks exactly like Phyllis Diller. Yeah, no, it's like Phyllis Diller with a beehive. Dude. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, um, the drunk Georgia lady from behind me starts talking to my friend Heather, and she's like, hey, hey, and she's wasted. And she's like. Do you think it's all right for me to use the men's bathroom since it's closer? And she's whispering, but talking louder than she thinks she is. And Darcel. And it's a small place, so if you're whispering in the crowd at Darcel's, the the voice carries. I mean, it's like everybody can hear you if you're whispering there. Yeah. So I'm sitting there, and Darcel turns around, and he looks right at me, mind you, not my three friends I'm with, or the two drunk people behind me asking if the woman can pee in the men's room. Um, and Darcel just <laughs> decides that you were the one making noise. Decides somehow. it's me and turns around and in front of everybody yells at me to, um, what the F do you think you're doing, you stupid little, you know, whatever. And he's just like, shut the F up. Who do you, who the F do you think you are? And just like yelling at me and I'm mortified. I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh my God. And I look at him, I'm like, I didn't say anything. He's just like, I don't give it enough with the, what the hell you think that you're doing or not doing. You need to shut the up up. I'm like yelling at me. It's silent. It was my, fairly awkward. It was I can so, attempt to, so, so it was I... so awkward. My face is turning red. And, you know, like, there's the guilt of when you've done something, and there's the guilt of, like, you haven't done anything. And I can actually think, because Lara and I were sort of trying to make, because you hadn't noticed us yet. Lara and I had gone, because we got in there late. We got there like 20 minutes after everybody else. Yeah. And, and, I'm, and we're sitting for anonymity. We are sitting. We picked a seat where we were surrounded by as many people as possible. Because, smart, smart man. Again, if I ever have a and you and I talked about this on Friday, if I ever get a gut sense that I'm going to a club where they're going to like be picking people out of the audience to like you know have Yell to at? Play, play, <laughs> or, or you know just play along with her. Hey, is there anybody here who uh, you know is here from out of town? Hey, is there anybody here who uh, hey who who out there likes uh, who out there likes potatoes? I just I don't ever want to do that. So I sat in like the blandest place I could possibly find. But as a result, you didn't see us, and so I kept trying to make eye contact with you. So Lara and I were looking at you, 
for the bulk of the time because we were trying to get your attention. Mm -hmm. We didn't want to stand up and, you know, wave or anything. And so we were watching you, so I can actually attest that you guys were just being silent and watching the show, but there's this, like, chatterboxing going on behind you. Darcel turns, thinks it's Sarah, and then just unloads like only a really uh, angry drag queen can unload. It was, I, I've never been yelled at like that in my life. It's like all the air just vanished out of the room. Oh, no, and then it gets better, because then I'm like, okay, so I'm sitting there, I'm like, I'm just going to deal with this. I'm like, you know, he's elderly. I'm like, maybe he's just not really, you know, assessing the fact that, like, he, maybe he doesn't remember me or something. Because, like, he seemed to kind of know me when I first, when I first met him. Then, like, five minutes later, I bumped into him again, and then he didn't really... It, it was like he didn't recognize. He was in a little bit of a, a fog. It was almost like he'd had fifty or sixty drinks. Yeah, that could have been it too. That, that could have contributed. I'm saying that he was wasted. It's all very awkward. So, uh, so the server comes over with my drink, and I'm like kind of upset at that point. But I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna suck it up. I'm a big girl. I'll deal with this. The server comes up, and the drink's like four seventy-five. You know, and he's just like, and so I give him six bucks, and he's and the server's like whispering in my ear. He's like, do you want your change? I'm like, like no, it's okay. You keep it. That's what I said. And Darcel whips his big beehive around. I heard another me, syllable. He's like, he's like, what the F did I just tell you? Shut your effing mouth. And I'm like, oh, oh, sorry. You're over, overdriving the mic. I know. I'm sorry. I just like, <laughs> I was trying to convey it with the force that he was doing. I was yelled at by a 78-year-old drag queen. It was fantastic. It I was, mean, I, it's fantastic now. At the moment, I was so upset. Oh, not, and Rick, no, not then. It's, not then. Rick had to take me outside and I had to, yeah, smoke a cigarette and cry. It was just, <laughs> it is one of those things that, it is one of those things that you just, at the time, you don't really, it becomes very surreal, and you're just like, is this really happening? Is Am I watching Sarah be yelled at by, like, by this nine-foot-tall, sort of, like, drag queen as though she's been drawn by Gary Larson of Farside fame on a Friday night in this, you know, in this uh, club in downtown Portland? Yeah, am I really there. here? I can't even convey how, like, It was so it was. weird, and, and so, yeah, we all, so we kind of re regroup in the sidewalk, we're like, let's... Let's this not is just a whole here. lot of let's, bad. Let's move on. Um, so we so we were to ourselves for a while. Then that all then the the S all went down there. We left. We went to uh, Dante's where Storm and the Balls are performing, and it's actually their final performance for like another six or seven months. And so uh, we went to Dante's, which was uh, fantastic. And uh, Storm and those guys put on a great show. It was just a. Uh, it was. It oh, was, she looked amazing. They sounded amazing. It's wonderful. I mean, really, really great. And I haven't seen those guys. And I mean. I'm not telling you know Portland anybody anything you know, don't know. I mean, Storm is fantastic, but uh, you know I, they haven't played a show, and I think since the Winter Wonder Ball, which most people didn't get a chance to see because that was when the snowpocalypse thing happened. Mm -hmm. So I haven't seen Storm and the Balls play for it's been several months, and it's that thing where you get just enough distance, you get just enough arm's length from it, where you realize all over again just how great they are, and they were just. I gotta say this. I mean, and it's almost pointless to talk about it now because they're going on hiatus. Because Storm is going to be doing like her one-woman show, and they've all got a lot of other projects they're working on. But it, it, I mean, it goes without saying that, that Storm is incredible and has a great voice and a whatever. But just that band. I mean, the band is well, all together. So, they make magic. They they're just amazing, and they are as ACDC used to be described. They are tight and loose all at the same time. I mean, they just those guys have been together for so long, and they play together so well. Uh, just exceptional. Just just an amazing night. Uh, it really it really was quite something. And Storm uh, debuted a few new songs uh, that are going to be in uh, I think on their new album uh, whenever that's done, and on their uh, you know in her upcoming one woman show as well. So that was great. So. Darcells, then Storm, then on Saturday. I'm really glad because if, if Darcell hadn't have freaked out, then we would have never, you know, gotten to see Storm. It was a study in contrast. Yeah. <laughs>
Uh, and then Saturday night, we went to uh, Geek in the City, had their, their Booyah Awards at Cosmic Monkey, which was uh, great. So that was a lot of people turned out for that, and that was fun. Uh, then I went to Satyricon to see Wednesday 13, which was unfreaking believable, which was uh, righteous, as I knew it would be. And then Sunday comes around, and we did the Oscar night thing, which we don't have time to talk about now. So we will uh, give an Oscar recap on the other side. So uh, stay there. We've got more coming up, including Jim Roop from CNN. Later on, we'll talk to Steve Kastenbaum, Peter Carlin, and more. So don't go anywhere. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Back after... your new toy? Yes. I don't know what to do with it. I don't really need a laser pointer. <laughs> we should thank our friend Thomas, who came to the uh, the Geek in the City uh, Awards on Saturday, and who brought us all, he brought uh, Richie, Sarah, and myself. It is a combination ballpoint pen, laser pointer, and flashlight, which is uh, fantastic. Dude, and how cool was that comic book store? It was really cool. That Cosmic is so Monkey. neat. Quite a place. Did yeah. you see the magazine that Lisa Wood bought? Is it the uh, Girls and Corpses? Yes. Yeah. That's a magazine whose time has come. It was inevitable that that would do. That is the creepiest thing. Like, all these hot girls with, like, real actual corpses propped up next to them. It was, um, it was really, uh, it was a magazine who, uh, it was a magazine whose time was uh, was overdue. So, um, yeah, so just to so quickly uh, recap some of the other stuff, and then we'll talk Oscars, and then we got the Steve Kastenbaum, who's going to be joining us here in a bit. Uh, at noon, our good friend Chuck Knopf will step in. He will be uh, behind the microphone, be uh, reading some news for us later on. Jim Roop, who was in uh, Los Angeles last night for the Oscars. Peter Carlin will be here, et cetera, et cetera, so on and so forth. Yeah, so Friday we went to uh, Darcell's, then we saw uh, Storm at Dante's, and then on Saturday... Just, my whole weekend is such a blur. I'm just trying yep. to get it all together in my head. Yeah, my Friday, too. Like, the end of my Friday, went to, you know, yeah, went to Darcell's. That was awful. I'm like, oh, this is the worst part. Then went to Storm's. That was good. Then ended up going to the, um, so I ended up that night going to a strip club, a karaoke bar, and then going to this, like, weird after-hours club in, uh, like, Southeast Industrial Portland, where you had to show a playing card in order to get in. And you walk in, and there's, like, illegal gambling going on, and, like, everyone's smoking cigarettes, and, like, you, you trade playing cards for drinks and stuff. It was the weirdest See, thing. This is one of those things that only happens to you, though, because when I go looking for places like that, they don't exist. We but... couldn't. I, I, yeah, I was with my buddy, and, like, we're standing in the middle of this road. It's dead silent. We're in, like, this industrial area. We're like, there's no way there's a club here. And all of a sudden, we see this door with, like, this this mat over it or something, and we see, like, this little flap go down, and this guy... The eye hole appears. What yeah. is the password? Exactly. The eye hole appears, and he's looking at us, and he looks us up and down, and he opens the door. He's like, okay, who do you know? Are you making this up? No. It was surreal. This was this was this weekend. This wasn't in, like, 1935 Chicago no, or anything. No, this was... And it was silent. It was, like, something out of a movie. Like, we're standing in the middle of the street trying to find this place. Dead silent. Open the door. It's, like, you know, 50 people in there. Just, like, you know, music, like, laughing, drinking, smoking, gambling... Was Ed Norton there? It was, uh, yeah, it was with... weird. All right. It was like nothing I'd ever seen. Yeah, see, that doesn't happen to me. I was going to say, after uh, after we went to see Storm uh, at uh, Dante's on Friday, Laura and I went to that place on... Here's a... You, you went to an after-hours club where a guy opens a little... The little... The it was kind of like a shifted thing. Spy-hole paneling, you know, <laughs> you know, who sent you? And then you have to say, you're mucking with a G. And then he lets you in, and then you have cigars and stoli. Laura and I went to that place on 14th and Hawthorne that sells French fries until 3 a.m. You know what I'm talking about? That like the the place where it's all the food carts. Was it the place that um? It's by Johnny B's. 
Yes. And it's uh, there's that play. If you if, are in the tinies. Yes. And exactly. that's hilarious. Yeah. And so this is, uh, this is not like a not a paid plug. I'm not the shilling. I'm just I'm just saying. If you if you know if you're in Southeast Portland, you know where I'm talking about. It's that place that's on 14th and Hawthorne. And yeah, it's right it's right between Tinies and it's by the uh, the the Jolly Roger and um and and Johnny B's is across the street and there's like a Burgerville I think. But it's 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 fantastic. It's like five sort of not even food carts, but there's kind of like these trailers for lack of a better word. I mean, it's like a little bit. That's the place that Kelly was talking about where they have trivia. Yeah, it's where it, if you if you answer like a question correct about a serial killer, then you can get free fries. You can get the free fries, and so it's the thing. It's it, where it's just fries is all they do. And then there's actually there's another place that's just Mexican, and there's a place that's just desserts, and there's a place that I think is just there's a place that's just like. Um, it's like catfish sandwiches and stuff. It's like a, kind of this, this kind of this New Orleans style food, but it was great. So Laura and I went there at like two in the morning or something. Whenever it is, we got them. I mean, storm. I think they, they finished up at like one thirty. So we go to this place and we're standing outside and it's, it's freezing cold. So they got those great, you know, those like big heaters they put outside mm-hmm. that you stand under when it's cold. And it's almost worth the fact that it's cold, so you can stand underneath the heater and feel it sort of radiating down on you, waiting for the fries, and then they give you the. You know the big ass thing of fries with like, like pesto mayonnaise or something, and so you're just like shoveling fries oh, into your mouth, and it was really just, good right now. I, yeah, which is like the at two thirty in the morning or whatever it was, is like the best thing ever. So we do that. Then on uh, Saturday uh, we had uh, the Geek in the City Awards, and then we went to Wednesday Thirteen, which was exceptional. But you said you ever heard the best conversation ever at Wednesday Thirteen, and and I should apologize by the way for just for just the weird fragmenty way that this whole uh, first half hour of the show is. Well, because. With so much crap happened this weekend. Like you and I, and I never do the, anything. That's you know, the thing. Two out of the three nights this weekend, we spent them together. I mean, and I, it's like I so rarely leave the house, and so now having left the house this weekend, I was just multitasking constantly. I mean, my day planner was full before anything even even was done. Um, so at Wednesday thirteen, and Wednesday thirteen is one of those shows where you're, it's fascinating on the one hand, but it's depressing on the other because you're the oldest people there. And I would say that the average age at the Wednesday 13 show at the Thuricon, I asked Laura at one point, I said, what do you think is the median age here? And she guessed around 17. And so mm. everybody there was around 17. And then, hello, hi, I'm old. There's <laughs> my wife and I. Be bringing your kid. <laughs> like full-on suburban. So it's, no, it's like we're, but it's not even like we're bringing the kids. Like we're, it's like we are there chaperoning. I mean, it really was. We, were, oh. it, we did feel like the teachers at a high school dance. Like, when will Wednesday 13 be over? I'll pick you up out front. Uh, so, so Wednesday 13 is on stage, and he's singing about necrophilia and Satan. And then Laura and I are standing in the back like proud parents watching him perform and whatever. So that happens. And then we went home on Saturday. And I don't even remember what happened on Saturday after that. But Sunday I get up. I come here Sunday. We prepare for CBS Radio Theater because I do this sort of narration for that, which I actually had to pre-record for last night. Don't tell anyone. Uh, so I had to pre-record that because I wasn't going to be here. And so... I, I get that finished, and we go to the Hollywood Theater last night for Oscar Night America. You mean the mausoleum? <laughs> which was just great. First of all, we got to say that the place was really fantastic. It was cool. We want to thank the uh, Film Action Oregon, who put the whole event together, who very graciously asked us to take part months ago. And I won't say we've been dreading it, but we've been sort of nervous about it because it was we were anxious. I didn't know what the – I mean, seriously, I don't know Well, because all we doing. knew, our information that we had was, you're hosting an Oscar night at the end. Yeah, and it was <laughs> like, just, we don't know what we're doing. All so vague. And then, you know, if I can just address all the awkwardness, they, when they came and they asked us to do it, this was a three-person show, and then it became a two-person show. Mm-hmm. And there was all this weirdness about, like, you know, uh, does Tim still want to be part of it? Because who could blame him if he didn't necessarily want to come on out and, you know, stand with the other, with the two remaining members of the Rick Emerson show? Um, but he had, he was he was totally down for it, as I should have known he would be. And we... 
had a fantastic time, and I really have to thank everybody. And there were a lot of listeners who and, and I don't remember the names of everybody we met, so I have to apologize for that. We met uh, uh, like I know we Zach. met Zach and Rich and Dave and uh, Ryan, um, and just a lot of listeners who were there, and a lot of people who I think will probably become listeners. And the film action uh, folks were great, and Heath Ledger. Freaking one uh, for his performance at the Joker, which I think we all knew he would, but there was still that tiny bit of apprehension. Yeah, I didn't think. Not. I, I don't know. I I was not completely sure that he was going to. I'm was, so glad that he did. It was cool, and I mean, you know, and people. I know a lot of people were pulling for Mickey Rourke, but you know, I, I got to say, it was the best of all worlds because Sean Penn won for Milk, which is, you know, and that's great in a whole different way because it's Gus Van Sant. And there was, you know, every time they would show Gus Van Sant, like, there was a huge uh, cheer from the crowd because well, the after Portland there, guy. Yeah, and there were people in the audience that had worked on Milk. That's right. I forgot all about that. Mm-hmm. Bent Image uh, did a lot of the visual post-production for Milk, and they were all there in the crowd. There were some people from Leica Studios there. That was great. Um, it, it was really just... And I'm not trying to make it like feel bad if you didn't go anything. It was just it was just a, just a really great night, and it was a lot of people who loved movies and loved film, and it was great and you know, a little poignant, but it was great for Tim and Sarah and I to all you know we fell right back into our own rhythm, and I mean back with the the old magic was there again. And I have to say, this, I miss Tim so much. I love seeing his face. And they put us in a dressing room. I'm gonna be very careful about this because I'm not trying to knock it. It's a great room, but no, it's, they knew it was hilarious. They knew that it was funny because they were yeah because they were decorated. The Hollywood Theater is a great place. I really and I'm not just saying that. It's a fantastic uh, venue, but it's a, it's an old theater. I mean, it's like from the vaudeville era. And so they were getting the uh, theater ready, and of course it's the Oscar, so they're going all out. They have like an actual Oscar from Will Vinton in the lobby. You can have your photo taken with, and they got the huge. Uh, you, you know the the not tapestries, whatever those things are called. You know the huge the signage. Uh, yeah, the yeah the big signage flanking the stage with the big Oscar thing, and it's because an official. Which so cool. It was so righteous, and it's a, it's an officially sanctioned screening, so it's all decorated and it's all cool. And then they got these big flower sprays everywhere, you know, like at a funeral or a wedding or whatever. They chose to assemble all of those flower sprays, not like somewhere else, like at oh I don't know flower store, but in the green room. So they go, and here's your dressing room, and it's just. It's just covered with water and leaves everywhere and just, like, <laughs> stems covering and everything. And it's freezing. I'm sorry, but it's like... It really was, it was like, like a... So a separate stone, like, mausoleum. It was, it was like a morgue slash, <laughs> slash forest had exploded. It felt like if you've ever been to the Portland Mausoleum, that's exactly what it felt like because it was, it was freezing. Everything was like marble and stone, and it smelled like flowers. Like, it was such a mausoleum. Yeah, it was, it was great and hilarious. And, of course, Tim and Sarah and I all around, and we just kind of looked at each other and just laughed. And it was, uh, but it was, it was great to see Tim again. Not that, like, we haven't seen him. I and mean, I thought to him, and, you know, and, and I see him, but it... You know, we hadn't really performed uh, together, so it was great to see Tim and for all three of us to, to be back. We have to say, in all fairness, and I know that uh, there's a contingent out there that is sick of hearing about it, so you know that's between you and the God of your choice. Uh, since this event is over and this was the big thing that uh, Richie, uh, as Rochelle, was building toward, you, you'll he- be hearing less about Richie's drag lifestyle going forward, but we do have to say as a final note, no no fooling, no kidding, Richie looked fantastic. I mean, there's just no getting around it. He looked Beautiful. Seriously, all kidding aside, Richie really uh, did look exceptional. Maybe that's why uh, Darcel ended up disappearing kind of early. <laughs> Somebody's got a new enemy. <laughs> um, yeah, Darcel uh, didn't stick around all that long. We were like, hey, who's going to present the best dress award? Oh, Darcel went home. And I would be intimidated because, like, Darcel brought that jewelry for Richie, and Richie just looked amazing. He did. He, he, he was really striking. He, it, 
Even he, as, if he's a woman, he would have been beautiful. Like he, he pulled it off. So all of our kidding and, and joshing aside, uh, Richie did really look uh, look great. Uh, so so Darcel's there, and he brings Richie the the costume jewelry. And then all of a sudden, you know, next thing you know, Darcel's missing, and Richie's stripped of his jewelry. I'm like, you just look too good, baby. <laughs> <laughs> you know you did. Welcome out to the Rick Emerson Show uh, from New York City. CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum. Hello, sir. Hello. How's it going? Uh, it's going fairly well. How are you, sir? Pretty good, pretty good. Um, I just have to make a, um, uh, I have to make it's a couple more uh, points. I, 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 so I'm sorry for talking about something that you you can't really weigh in on, but, uh, but Tim Riley and Sarah Dillon and Richie and myself did this Oscar night, uh, show last night. We hosted uh, the uh, the Oregon's official screening of the Oscars, and I I was talking to Storm Large about this later, and I got a whole. Don't let me forget to tell the storm story from last night, Sarah, because now that I've got clearance to tell it, and you'll understand, everybody, in a, in a, in a, in a, you know, when I tell the story in a few minutes, you'll understand why I had to get explicit permission from Storm to tell the story of what happened late last night. I had to get absolute, like she had to point blank, no bones, tell me that I could that I could reveal everything. So I'll get to that here in a second. But. Um, but I saw Storm uh, and Davey and those guys last night directly after the Oscars, and I was still in my tux. And Storm, she goes, oh, you look so good. You're in the tux. And I said, I, only, I almost feel like, Steve, don't you as a man, don't you feel this way? When you put on a tux and people are like, oh, you look great, don't you feel like you do look good, but it's almost like you're cheating, you know? I mean, it's, it's cheating to look good in a tux because, like, it's so easy and it costs like 60 bucks at the rental place. I hate wearing the tux because I feel like I'm constantly adjusting. Well, that well, see, that's the other thing. And I, I'm, I, the thing I do is I compulsively, uh, I compulsively adjust my tie, uh, my necktie. I'm always freaky about that. But it's, you know, but I will say this. Uh, it'll, it, Sarah, of course, looked astonishing as she always does. And Sarah looked great. She had like this tight leopard print thing on. And if I can say this, here's, yep. here's the, the. I'm only going to say this just because it's true, and because Sarah and I have worked together for long enough that I can make this observation. You don't ever wear anything that is low cut. Ever. Mm-mm. I mean, you don't. And so uh, last night, there was the exception <laughs> to that rule, which was, I mean, I'm not saying it didn't look good. It looked great. It was just sort of, uh, it's just, it has extra punch when you do it because you typically, you, you I'm don't, behind that girl you don't show a lot. I mean, you don't show a lot of skin. That's just, you're not, you're not that girl. And so when you wear something like the outfit last night, it really does, uh, I think it packs probably an extra wallop just because it doesn't, like, you don't ever see it. But you looked great. But it's like, I know you had to do that. Like from scratch yourself, mm. whereas Tim and I are just like, no, 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 they're renting us tuxes. I know, and you guys looked so good. Yes, we did. But but again, it, like it doesn't count. You know what it I mean? It doesn't count. It is cheating. So you know, so I, I almost, was laying there stressing out trying to find. I went. I even went to Washington Square Mall this weekend to try and find a dress. Well, it's like you and Richie put in all of this time on your dresses and your outfits and your makeup, whatever. And Tim and I are like, I don't know. Uh, this just came in a bag, and I put it on, and it's instant class. Especially because when I go to the tux rental place, they always go, "Which tux do you want?" And I always say the same thing. I always just say, just give me whatever Frank Sinatra would wear. That's it. Because I don't know. Hey, you know, it's like, you know, what in a Paisley? I just never know. So I say, give me the Sinatra. And they do. And then I look great. And then I accept the compliments. But I always feel as though they are undeserved. I'm so. looking for photos on, on the radio station's website. And I don't see any uh, up yet. There will yeah. be no photos up, uh, I would say, for a, uh, probably a day. Because it was it was actually not a CBS radio event. It was um, Tim and Sarah and I were there. But it was an event put on by, this, uh, by the Film Action Group and the Hollywood Theater here. So... They filmed it. Actually, there was a lot of filming. There was a lot of photos. Um, you'll see all of those uh, those pictures, but probably not uh, until today, at least. So, anyway, so I apologize. Uh, thank you for indulging me while yeah, I, I haven't while seen I talk any about pictures of all of us. Oh, we would look fantastic. What are you talking about? Are you kidding? <laughs> I'm searching now and I don't see any. Yeah. Look- 
Obama administration is on the right track, that they're going to do some good, but, it, but the stimulus package needed to be bigger. It's going to do good. I have no doubt about that. But it would have been better if it had been bigger rather than smaller. Now, I would add to that that uh, I don't think that the composition of the package, the things it spends money on, are ideal. So then I went to the opposite school of thought. You're familiar with the University of Chicago and the Chicago School of Thought when it comes to, the, to uh, economics? I always just imagine that the Chicago School of Thought imagines uh, breaking, you know, that just sort of involves breaking somebody's legs, uh, you know. <laughs> You know what I mean? Or just uh, or stuffing something. In a way, you're right, because it's, it's all about letting the free market uh, fix itself and don't, it, and don't get involved with it, you know? Let, let business be business and do what it has to do. So I spoke to Casey Mulligan about this. Casey thing. Mulligan. Did really? Was he, was he busy taking down Capone with Elliot Ness? <laughs> Maybe that's why he's a member of the Chicago school. So I asked him what he thought about the, the stimulus package. What they're doing is they're going to get a bunch of public sector projects going, which are going to pull people out of the private sector. So actually, the private, if you think about the private economy, it's actually going to get smaller, not bigger as a result. So you have two brilliant minds who think, uh, who, who are polar opposite ends of the spectrum here in analyzing the uh, stimulus package. So, so it makes you think that, well, how do we know what's going to happen? And we don't. Yeah. Well, and it seems like one of those things where it's such a Rorschach at this point that no matter what happens, they can just sort of, uh, they can infer whatever results or conclusion they would actually like and then just sort of claim, you know, either claim success for it or just avoid the failure for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Avoid the blame. So, all right. Well, on that note, seriously, you haven't seen The Dark Knight? Uh, clearly, I am a failure. Yes, I would. I mean, look, I hate to pile on uh, with your self-loathing, but you are correct in that assessment. Yes, that is, in fact, the case, Steve Kastenbaum. You know what's so funny? Joy and I were at home last night, my wife, and we were working on some stuff that we needed to do. I, I had to do some things for work. Did you put on the? Did you put on that list of things to do? Obtain the bare minimum of cultural literacy. <laughs> well, that's what we were talking about. We were like, should we even watch the Oscars, or should we, you know, make an effort to go see the films first? And we were talking about how lame it was that we hadn't seen uh, any of the films that were nom nominated for Best Picture. Actually. We did see one film this year that was up for an Oscar. You know that French film, uh, The Class? Really? This is what you're going to tell me at the end? This is how you want to choose to end your call? You <laughs> say that you didn't see any of the nominees for Best Picture. You didn't see The Dark Knight. And yet, of all the films last night, you saw a French film. Yes. <laughs> what is wrong with you? I, I, I'm the... I'm I don't mean that in a snarky way. I mean, really, is there? Do you have? Is, are is, Do you have uh, some sort of a? Do you have? Uh, I mean to go. Some... I want to go see these films. I literally last a couple of months ago, I was catching up on the 2008 uh, Academy films. I watched like in one weekend. I watched There Will Be Blood, No Country for Old Men, and Juno. Like in one weekend. Okay, here's the weird thing: is I watched that exact series of films in exactly that order uh, on one weekend. Uh, as well, so that's really? weird. Yeah, no, I watched uh, I watched No Country for Men, then There Will Be Blood, then Juno, back to back to back over the course of like 15 hours at my house. So, yeah. all right. So I guess six months from now I'll catch up again. Uh, I'm just saying, you know, Rick Emerson is is looking out for you. I want you to be a well-rounded American, sir. It, it's sad. You know what happened uh, this weekend? Also, uh, you know, I, I went skiing. I guess I could have, you know, caught up on the movies on Saturday, but I didn't. So I don't know. All right. Having too much fun? Uh, you know, I'm just, there is such a thing, you know, you, the, the life, uh, life is a palette with many colors, Steve. There's no need I, to paint solely in puce. 
I will take that under advisement. All Thank right. you. <laughs> On that note, my friend. I don't even know what color that is. Eh, it's like a plum kind of a color. Okay. All right. Well, you have a fantastic afternoon, to whatever extent that's possible, what with the staggering gaps in knowledge that you uh, have revealed to us. But, I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm sure there's things you know. All right. Steve, have a great day. We will talk to you soon, sir. Speak to you tomorrow. Bye. There you go, Steve Castanon. That surprises me and saddens me. The only movie I actually saw was The Dark Knight. Mm, I thought you saw Benjamin Button. No. Okay. I don't have it at my house, but I need to. I need to watch it. I, you said that you thought it was creepy, or you you were afraid it was going to be creepy. No, I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want a movie where it ends with a dead baby. No, it's not a dead baby. It doesn't. It's no. It's a life. I would say it's a life affirming. Okay. It's not a. It, it, look, I'll put it this way. It's written by the guy who wrote Forrest Gump. So. Oh, okay. I mean, it, you know, it has moments of it poignancy. Looks interesting. It's. I would say this. I'm glad I saw it. Um. I don't think it's the masterpiece that everybody else does. And there's a lot of like it's a you know it's a flawless masterwork. I wouldn't say that. I'd say it's very good. Mm. It's a it's a good you know. I th- Did you they, say it got a little long? Um, it, it well, maybe that wasn't you. It didn't feel thing. long. It is long, but for my money, okay. I'm not trying to say it's as good as Titanic, but for my money, it is long, but doesn't feel long. Now that's just my assessment. It doesn't feel like a long film. Um, it is pretty lengthy. It's like three hours. It doesn't feel that way. And I, again, I don't think it's a masterpiece, but I will say, first of all, the the visuals, and I'm not just talking about how they make uh, Brad Pitt age in reverse. Like, that, that's amazing. Like, that is, and the thing is, it's so amazing because you simultaneously are aware of it, but you don't notice it. In other words, like, you ever watch a movie where they do, like, bad old age makeup, mm-hmm. you know, or they're making you look young and you're like, or wow, that's terrible. Or they love their hands, like, when no writer at the beginning of Edward Scissorhands. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, you know, it's just, it's just makeup in its infancy still. You know, the movie obviously starts with Brad Pitt at, like, 95 years of age, and then it ends with him as a baby. I mean, I'm not giving anything. Everybody knows that. Um, it's... It's unbelievable. I mean, it, it's staggering how well it's done. And the thing is... Obviously, you're noticing it because, hey, he's old, now he's middle-aged, now he's young. But you don't notice it in the sense of, like, ooh, I can see where they're putting on makeup there, and I can see where the wig is. It's just, it's seamless. It's seamless. It is staggering. But beyond that, even leaving that apart, the movie just looks beautiful. And that's because it's David Fincher, who did, obviously started out in music videos with Express Yourself and Janie's Got a Gun. But Mm. he, David Fincher, who did uh, Seven and Fight Club and the game and panic room you you sold me at the game i mean yeah he makes beautiful looking films his films are gorgeous to look at even if you don't get like you know like even 7 which is a very dark 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 film just the composition of the shots and the and the you know and just the the and color scheme trees and everything. yeah and just the yeah the way he sets up a shot is so beautiful and benjamin but it all and takes place uh largely in uh, new orleans but there's a lot of sequences like overseas, and there's he had there's a couple set pieces, there's a couple scenes in Benjamin Button that are so well drawn that it's like even now I can just picture them. And I saw the movie once, and I can picture it with absolute clarity. I mean, it's just it's a beautiful film, um, and uh, and uh, so forth. And then you know, and then you know what, uh, what else? There's uh, you know the, the Heath Ledger thing, which was which was fantastic. How often and, was it to watch Jennifer Aniston uh, freaking out and presenting while Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie are sitting like yeah, right in front of her? Yeah. Did you see how flustered she was? Well, that's I just felt weird. Kind of bad I mean, it's like they're right in the front row and there's Jennifer Aniston going, "I'm not having it." And somebody left. Tell me, I'm pretty. Uh, she looked like she'd just finished like a long crying session. Yes. Well, I mean, seriously, whose idea was that? It's that's just mean. Whoever that is, it has a burning place in hell. <sighs> Like she's sitting there and she's awkward and fumbling and like 
And it's like there's the man stealer right in front of yeah, us. Yeah, and meanwhile, Angelina Jolie has like her creepy, you know, like I'm perfect smile. And totally. Like, like stroking Brad Pitt's hand. Like, look what I took from you. Yeah, it was all very. Oh, it was bad. All very awkward. And it's like, and I don't dislike Angelina Jolie or Brad Pitt, but I think we all sort of feel. It's weird that as a nation, we all feel very protective of Jennifer Aniston. Mm. Jennifer Aniston. Well, she like, annoys me, but at the same time, I felt really bad for her. But don't you get the feeling that she's like a she's like a, a, our collective sister, mm-hmm. where you know where she kind of bugs us, but we're like, but I just want her to be happy so she can go away. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's the thing. Like I want her to go. I want Jennifer Aniston to find a man and settle down. Yeah, and I've met John Mayer, and he is not good looking. Yeah, and just and like don't settle for that. Come go on, off and be happy because Jennifer Aniston. She just like every year, she's more and more sad. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like you go back and look at her and friends, and she's happy and bubbly and full of life. And now it's like every time you see her in public, it's like, as you said, it's like she's more and more recently come off a crying jag. Uh, it looked like she was honestly at, at her breaking point. Like yeah. that. I, it was awkward watching her because I thought that she was going to freak out and like fly over the podium maybe. And, and I was thinking this, and it didn't even seem that far-fetched. Yeah. I'm like, she looks like she's going to spaz out like yeah. any second. It was – It was. I kept waiting for, uh, you know, uh, for, for the mental ice to break underneath. Well, then you saw them that. panning, and her and John Mayer – we're sitting like just a, like a few seats over and a couple rows like behind Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt. Yeah. Like people are cruel. Was, Why would you do that to that poor girl? It was all kinds of weird. Um, all right. So I have many, 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 many more notes about the Oscars. And we'll talk specifically about the awards. We'll talk uh, some more about uh, last night. I do want to take a special moment, though. And then when we get back, I will tell the story. From last night. From last night after the Oscars. Um so remember, uh, uh, remember this. Remember, uh, uh, oh God, I'm forgetting his name. No, 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 no. Who was the the winner last night with the hot mom? I'm sorry, the elegant, stylish mom. You know what I'm talking about? The mom's name was Kathy, and the winner was Ben. Ben? No, no, no. Dave? Yes. Oh God, I suck. God. I'm a terrible person. We just met him last night too. All right. Well, we'll get back to that in a second. His mom was beautiful. So I will tell the story uh, when we come back. First thing out of the gate, I will tell the story about what happened to me last night after the Oscars. And I'm going to say the following things. It involves me in my tux. I should have started the whole show with this. This should have been my guarantees at 11.01. Last night after the Oscars, I went somewhere and did something that involved me in a tux. Storm Large... Sam Adams and Vagina. There you go. That's all you know for now, and that is all you need to know. And not Sam Adams the beer. No. No. So we'll get to that uh, just just as soon as we come back. But we want to say real quickly before we break, so last night the guy who won the Oscar night tickets for making a scene, he did the whole Neo and Morpheus speech for The Matrix. Yes. He was there, by the way, also in a tux, looking fantastic. And if you're out there, I don't mean to creep you out. The reason I can't really remember a lot of what uh, you and I talked about is because his mom was there, and his mom was uh... stunning. Yes, we'll cut. We'll say that she was uh, a beautiful woman. We'll leave it at that. In kind of a hot Shirley Jones kind of a way. <laughs> what Rick's saying is he wants you to bring your mom here and give her wow, a tour. Wow, she was. Video. Yeah, I'm a big fan of your mom. <laughs> I really am. There's just no getting around it, and we'll we'll leave it at that. Back after this, it's the Rick Emerson program. riding a horse or something because he's just unfunny and terrible and 
So this is different than that. This is like uh, Hugh Jackman who comes out and he's like, I'm Hugh Jackman and I'm singing a song. And he does a thing and it was like this sort of, and the whole gimmick was it was the low rent, um, literally low rent ramshackle, low dollar recession version of the opening where all the props are made out of cardboard and it's him and what's her name from Devil Wears Prada, Anne Hathaway. And so she's kind of great. Although she looks uh, disturbingly like uh, Nancy Kerrigan, so one she does look like a prettier, like a more feminine. Nancy like if Kerrigan. if you took out like like half of Nancy Kerrigan's teeth, because uh, Nancy Kerrigan's got like a thousand teeth, and if you were to take a bunch of them out uh, and maybe shrink them, and then also give her a good sanding, uh, she might look like Anne Hathaway. Mm. So so that was great. So it was a great opening. And we will talk more about the specific awards and events and, and all of that sort of as, as we get into the news segment. In just a moment, we'll welcome uh, our good friend Chuck Knopf here. But I have to say, <clears throat> so Friday, Darcells, then Storm. Saturday, uh, Geek in the City Awards, then Wednesday, 13. Oh, my God. I saw you every night this week. I thought it was two nights, but it was three. No, we're spending a lot of time together, even for us. Yeah. So much so Those that, like... three social obligations. And I think, was it on Thursday night that I went to the Plaid Pantry and you were there? No, it was Wednesday. <laughs> Wednesday, because it was lost night. It was so weird. Like, we see each other all the time, but not... You know, it's like seeing your teacher. <laughs> totally. It's like seeing your teacher at a restaurant. I went to, um, I went to Plaid Pantry on Wednesday night. I'm like, I'm just going to buy myself some Crunch and Munch. Hello, Sarah. What are you doing here? And you're like, what? And you ask, what are you doing here? And I said, I live right near here. And and Sarah actually said to me, I didn't think you left the house, which is like I say is sort of a figurative, like a goof. But I mean, you know, I do leave the house. Some like you I got to crunch and munch doesn't deliver itself. Sarah, Cosmo.com isn't around anymore. Uh, so yeah, Sarah and I have seen each other every day and every night for like the past week or something, which is fine. I'm not complaining. It's just odd. Yeah, I didn't even really think about that. So Friday, there's Selden Storm. Saturday, uh, Geek in the City Awards. Then Wednesday, 13. Then Sunday, we all meet at the Hollywood Theater, uh, Sarah and Tim and Richie and myself, and we do uh, the Oscar in America presentation, which, again, was a great time. And uh, and uh, we met a lot of listeners. Mailman Brian was there. And, and, again, my apologies to listeners whose names I've forgotten, like the guy in the touch with the hot mother who looks like Shirley Jones. Yeah, Bob was there. Gay Bob was there. Uh, our friends, uh, our friend, uh, his friends Telly, uh, Terry and Ellen were there. So it was just, it was all very great. After the Oscars, you've seen uh, that footage a million times, I'm sure, of the We Are the World recording that happened in whatever 1986 or whatever it was, where it's, uh, you know, it's 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 uh, uh, Michael Jackson and Quincy Jones and Bruce Springsteen and Simon Le Bon and Cindy. One. She does it like a prettier, like a more feminine. Like if, like if you took out like like half of Nancy Kerrigan's teeth, because uh, Nancy Kerrigan's got like a thousand teeth, and if you were to take a bunch of them out uh, and maybe shrink them, and then also give her a good sanding, uh, she might look like Anne Hathaway. Mm. So so that was great. So it was a great opening, and we will talk more about the specific awards and events and and all of that sort of as as we get into the news segment. In just a moment, we'll welcome uh, our good friend Chuck Knopf here. But I have to say, <clears throat> so. Friday, Darcells, then Storm. Saturday, uh, Geek in the City Awards, then Wednesday, 13. Oh, my God. I saw you every night this week. I thought it was two nights, but it was three. No, we're spending a lot of time together, even for us. Yeah. So much so that, like... three social obligations. I think, was it on Thursday night that I went to the Plaid Pantry and you were there? No, it was Wednesday. Wednesday, because it was lost night. It was so weird. Like, we see each other all the time, but not... You know, it's like seeing your teacher. Totally. It's like seeing your teacher at a restaurant. I went to, um, I went to Plaid Pantry on Wednesday night. I'm like, I'm just going to buy myself some Crunch and Munch. Hello, Sarah. What are you doing here? And you're like, what? And you ask, what are you doing here? And I said, I live right near here. And, and Sarah actually said to me, 
I didn't think you left the house. Which is like, I say it's sort of a figurative, like a goof, but I mean, you know, I do leave the house. Some, like you I gotta, do? Crunch and Munch doesn't deliver itself, Sarah. Cosmo.com isn't around anymore. Uh, so yeah, Sarah and I have seen each other every day and every night for like the past week or something, which is fine. I'm not complaining. It's just odd. Yeah, I didn't even really think about that. So Friday, there's Selden Storm. Saturday, uh, Geek in the City Awards. Then Wednesday, 13. Then Sunday, we all meet at the Hollywood Theater, uh, Sarah and Tim and Richie and myself, and we do uh, the Oscar Night America presentation, which, again, was a great time. And uh, and uh, we met a lot of listeners. My old man Brian was there. And, and, again, my apologies to listeners whose names I've forgotten, like the guy in the tux with the hot mother who looks like Shirley Jones. Gay Bob mm-hmm. was there. Gay Bob was there. Uh, our friends, uh, our friend, uh, friends Telly, uh, Terry and Ellen were there. So it was just it was all very great. After the Oscars. You've seen uh, that footage a million times, I'm sure, of the We Are the World recording that happened in whatever, 1986 or whatever it was, where it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, uh, Michael Jackson and Quincy Jones and Bruce Springsteen and Simon Le Bon and Cindy Lauper and Dan Aykroyd, inexplicably, who are all there and they're singing We Are the World. And it's that, and I think the Live Aid, the Do They Know It's Christmas thing, it's the same thing where it's like they're all walking into the studio at 2 a.m. and it's like, We've been up all night recording this song for children or for whoever the hell it was for. And, you know, and we, we're going to bring it raw because it's rock style. And then, you know, and then they sing the song and then, and then all problems are fixed. So I did something kind of like that last night. And so if I sound a little loopy today, it's because I got uh, very little sleep because as I said earlier, I went home and I was just – it's one of those nights where you go home and you were so amped up from everything that you couldn't sleep if your life depended on it. And I didn't want to just, uh, you know, drug myself to sleep, so I just sat there and just kind of stared at a wall and twitched for a long time. And uh, I don't know, maybe I'll watch some more Anderson Cooper. I can't sleep! Um, On Friday night, Storm had performed this song that I do believe, uh, I'm guessing, I don't want to give any secrets away, but I do believe that this song is going to be part of Storm's upcoming one-woman show, Crazy Enough, which is going to be at the Portland Center stage. I believe it opens in late March. It's a one-woman show. It's a musical, songs by Storm Large, written by Storm Large, kind of an autobiographical thing. It's going to be very – I mean, I can already sense it's going to be – I don't know anything about it. It's going to be fantastic. I can just tell. One of the songs in that one-woman show, and which I believe will also be on the new Storm of the Balls record whenever that comes out, and I'm just saying this as a journalist now, as a newsman, I'm saying this. I'm saying this now because it's a fact. Saying this is part of a discussion that has artistic merit. The song is called – My vagina is eight miles wide. And, you know, and all that that implies. Uh, And so, and that's the chorus as well. And it's impossible to overstate how catchy this song is and how you hear it once. Todd the Corpse actually saw an early version of it at a workshop and he was like, I just saw Storm sing the best song ever. He's like, it'll get caught in your head. He's like, you're going to hear it once and you're going to be singing it all day. I just got an email from him saying that he's had that song in his head for about a year. It's so freaking good. I mean, and it's not a secret, you know, because they, like, they, they played it at Dante's on, on, on Friday night. It's so unbelievably good. And I know a lot of people are like, the thing, we're just in the bag for Storm and that we'll kind of praise anything she does. And, you know, and the thing, thing is, it's not, I mean, we love talent Storm. Talent. That's the thing. Is, I mean, we're, you know, we're friends, you know, with her, with Davey. I mean, they're all friends of the show. But it's just no getting around the fact. Uh, that, I mean, that's just, it's, they make incredible uh, art. They really do. And that song is just, it's so good. So Storm sends me this email on uh, Saturday, and she says, 
Hey, so that song we sang last night, the Vagina song, she said, we're going to be recording it in the studio on Sunday night. Would you like to come and join? Because the end of the song is just that chorus done several times. And she said, I'm putting together a, uh, she said, I'm putting together a boys choir to sing that chorus over and over at the end of the song. Do you want to lend your voice to that? And she said, among the other, you know, among the other performers will be, uh, you know, Davey. And then, and I feel like a jerk here because I don't have the email in front of me. And I, and I meant to sort of give credit to all the other guys who were singing on it. And so I apologize uh, for not having that in front of me. I'll try to do it later. But um, she said, among, among the other guys singing on the chorus to this song, Davey Nipples and Portland Mayor Sam Adams. And I... And at first, it's one of those things where you kind of go, like, you wonder if you've fallen asleep somehow and you're just hallucinating some weird sort of great but surreal scenario. And I emailed back and I said, I said, absolutely. And like, how many times do I get to sing about vagina? Well, flanked by Davy Nipples and, you know, Davy Nipples and Sam Adams. I mean, the answer is you get that chance once, once in a lifetime. And I'm like, I am there. But I got this Oscar thing. I'm mean, like, Sarah and Tim and I and Richie are hosting this Oscar thing with, you know, the Darcel and this whole deal. And. And I said, you know, I'd love to be there, but I'm running late. And she's like, she's like, no worries. Like, well, you know, we'll run late. We'll stay. And so I got done with the Oscars last night. And it really, this is where the we, the we are the world thing comes in. I, had, I get done with the Oscars. I don't even bother loosening my tie. I get done with it. Thank you for coming out. See you next year. Grab my bag. Say goodnight to Tim and Sarah and everybody. We say our goodbyes. I head to the car. I call Storm. I'm like, I'm on my way over. You know, save me a microphone. So I get to the studio. Sam Adams had actually already recorded his part, and he had to go uh, work on, uh, you know, like the budget or whatever. So, uh, so he had actually—I I saw film of him singing, though, which is like the best thing. Genius. I mean, I'm just, so I mean, it's like the mayor of Portland. It's Sam Adams just singing about his vagina. Um, it's just the best thing you've ever seen. And I heard they play the song, and you can hear his voice. It is great. It is like all the dudes singing, whatever. And so then I'm there in my tux, and there's the vocal booth. And you know how it is at a recording studio. It's late at night. Everybody's tired and, you know, a little, you know, everybody's kind of, you know, there's the beer going around and whatever. And everybody's, you know, a little loose and a little, you know, a little manic, a little crazy. But, you know, everybody's just on the same page. And I don't mean to sit and gush about music and art and rock and roll and all of the things in between. But you know what I'm talking about when, especially if you're a musician or if you're in a band or if you have spent any time with musicians in bands and recording studios. Even if you, even you can't do a lick of work yourself, if you've been in proximity to to artists and i don't really count myself as an artist in that way but if you've been with bands and with performers when they're in the studio or in wherever and they're putting something together i mean like let's say with cbs radio theater you know which is the live radio drama we did last night there's just this amazing unduplicable uh magic that happens when there's a group of people in a room and especially late at night for some reason and where everybody's a little ragged, but they're all there for the same reason, and they all have the same goal and standards, and everybody's having fun, but everybody is also there to do a good job and to do the best they can to make whatever this piece of art is come together. And it's like, you know, yeah, Sam Adams' vagina, whatever. But it's like, you know, you know, but Storm and Davey and those guys, just like we did, they take their fun real seriously, and you want it to sound good, and you care about the final product, and it has to, has to sound just right. And so everybody's there. And so it's this great, amazing, kind of raw, real Portland vibe that I walk into. And so then I walk directly into the, you know, there, and I'm in my tux, and I'm like, I'm ready to sing, you know. And so they stick me in a vocal booth, 
And so it's me in a vocal booth in front of this microphone, like Hetfield style, in my full-on tux, <laughs> vest, bow tie, hair perfectly coiffed, standing there. Storm is about five inches away on the other side of the glass, holding a video camera up, taping my every move. <laughs> and there's, you know, it's like there's a whole room full of dudes, and then they hit the playback, and I'm hearing this chorus, including like Davey and Sam Adams, uh, and, uh, and a bunch of other talented singers, including a guy who literally uh, has an operatic range. Singing the vagina song. And then I'm kind of laying down my part as well. And it was just it was just the weirdest, greatest. And it's one of those things where it ends and you kind of, after everybody said goodnight, we all shook hands and hugged and, you know, and we've created magic here tonight, people. And, I mean, I was only there for, like, you know, whatever, half an hour of it. But you leave and you walk out on the street and you kind of do that thing of, like, did that just happen? Did I just... <laughs> I can't remember if that really took place or if I just fell asleep and had the most marvelous of midday dreams. So, and then you realize just how great Portland is. And that, and then I, and I'll wrap it all up here and we'll, we'll welcome Chuck and we'll get to some news. And we're, we're kind of over time already, so we'll do some news. Then we'll break in a bit and have the Oscar stuff. But I, I know that I can... At the slightest prompt, then go on about about music and movies and art and about Portland. But this is just the greatest confluence of all of the above. And the idea that it would be, you know, Storm and Davey and Mayor Sam Adams and all of these other talented guys. And again, whose names I just am sort of spacing on at the moment, so I, I apologize for that. And they're singing this amazing, hilarious, great, very profane at times song. And that it's after, you know, the Oscars, uh, you know, where you saw Gus Van Sant, you know, so happy that his film was recognized. And you saw, um, you know, you saw uh, uh, um, that guy Lance, who was the screenwriter uh, for Milk, uh, you know, and he, was, he gave such a great speech. And that it all ends with this insane great song and that I was just privileged enough to be part of that is really just... It really is just a great thing, and Portland is just the best place I've ever lived in my life, and I've lived in a lot of places, and I can tell you this, I've never lived anywhere like this city, and it is um, it is something that is just quite exceptional, and every time you think that you have had the quintessential Portland moment, or the greatest Portland uh, event that you've witnessed, or you've experienced the purest distillation of that Portland, you know, energy, that creative energy, it's like something like last night happens, and you just sort of, you know, and you, and you just realize that that's why you live here, because it's just the greatest it is the greatest place, and it is a place of constantly unfolding surprises and, and joys in that way. So anyway, so I want to thank Davey and Storm and all of those guys uh, for having me as part of that last night. It was really just the greatest possible way I could have ended my weekend. I mean, it was just a great weekend, and that was just that was, that was the final and uh, perfect punctuation mark to put at the end of that uh, the end of that two day sentence. So anyway, so there you go. Uh, hello, Chuck Knopf. How are you? Well, I'm great. Good afternoon to you, Rick. How uh, how are things? They seem to be good with you. I'm a little uh, I'm a little ragged today. I'm yeah. a little a little crazy, but that's just because it was. And I know we've talked about it for an hour and a half now, so I'll shut up. But it was a long weekend for all of us. A long, great weekend, but long, exhausting in all the right ways. So. But it sounds like you're firing on all cylinders. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a good thing. Thank you. It was. Uh, thank you, Chuck. I appreciate that. You're a ray of positive energy, is what I'm you trying, are. Trying, you know. He always is. All right. Shall we uh, begin the news, and then we'll do uh, we'll do a handful of stories here, and then we'll take a break and get caught up. But let's go to the news desk, ladies and gentlemen. And now, from the CBS Radio Center in downtown Portland, this is the news. Well, a British resident who claims he was subjected to medieval. Torture at the hands of the U.S. government has been released from Guantanamo Bay. Uh, Bainam Mohammed was held at a soon-to-be-closed detention facility for more than four years. The U.S. agreed to a British request to free him last week. All charges against the man have been dropped. He was there for seven years, and 
if it's medieval, they did some stuff to him. He's probably he probably went in at five seven. He's now six two or something like that. And so this is uh, so this is seven years from in to out. Yes. Jeez. And did you specify what they did? No charges were filed. Oh no. Or what? all charges against him have been dropped. So they really couldn't. I'm sure he was given. Uh, I'm sure he was given the benefit of counsel too. Oh. <laughs> I'm sure that he was also allowed to uh, face the accusers. Uh, you know, that were presenting uh, claims against him. If you think about Turkish prisons back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And you said this is Guantanamo Bay, which means, here's a, I have a question about this. Maybe you know this, Chuck, maybe you don't. What, what is up with Guantanamo Bay? And by that I mean, it's in... Cuba. Yeah. But I, but I, I guess I'm trying to, but it's in, it, so it's in Cuba, but it's owned by us, or, or is yeah. it owned by somebody else, and we just sort of are renting it? No, we got a deal. I believe at the, in the Spanish-American War, part of the settlement was we get a naval base. I think it happened in 1898. So it is a sole. So it, it, but see, but that's my thing. Is the naval base is it American yes. soil? Yes, it is. It is termed as such. But it, see, but, but I thought that was the reason they picked it. Though, the, I, I thought they picked it because it wasn't American soil, so they the could just beat time, a guy with a hose. It is. It is exactly at the same time. It is not American soil. Because there, I believe there's a lease there. They leased it from the Cubans, and it, I'm not sure how long the lease goes. So technically, it is not U.S. soil. So therefore, they can do whatever they want to, and they apparently have done whatever they want to. It's also very confusing. Guys. It's like our, it's like our own um, Azkaban or something. You know what I mean? Where it's exactly. just like it totally is. It doesn't make any sense. It just seems like mysterious. Well, and here's the thing, and I can't talk about this stuff too much because it makes me too angry. Uh, but. Um, so I will. I, I won't get all cranked up about it, except to say that it just. It just. It, uh, I. If I maybe, I'll be serious for just a moment. Then we'll, then we'll move on. I'm, I'm just. It just. It really just sickens me. It just. It just. It just makes me angry and horrified and depressed and, and all of that and whatever you know whatever and people call me a, a sissy or a bleeding heart or whatever you call me whatever you want to call me, uh, but, you know, but it's like, it's like the Declaration of, of Independence uh, is either true or it's not. Like we either believe it or we don't. And the Declaration of Independence, uh, you know, I mean, look, here's, here's the thing, is that if you look at the, the documents that found this country, mm -hmm. for example, if you look at the preamble, mm -hmm. the preamble says that all men, not Americans, doesn't say American citizens, doesn't say all men who are lucky enough to be born in one of the 50 uh, states, says that all men are created equal and are endowed, not by the government, by the not creator. by a piece of paper. Yeah, they're not endowed because, like, the U.N. says so. Right. They're not endowed with rights because, like, we've decided that they've earned them. They're not endowed with rights because, like, well, they finally advanced as a civilization to the point that we'll give them a few rights. They are endowed by their creator, whether and it doesn't say God, by the way, it's by whatever – meaning even if you don't believe in that, you know, even if you believe in evolution or the Big Bang or whatever, it, it, that whoever created them, that they are endowed by their creator with certain, uh, with certain rights, including life, liberty – and the pursuit of happiness, which seems, by the way, to preclude that they're going to stick you in a, a, a room and just be uh, and just be uh, hitting you with a hammer all day long until you say whatever it is you're supposed to say. So it's like everybody's either endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, or they are not. Uh, and if they are, you got no business sticking them in some weird cell in Guantanamo Bay and having uh, Andy Sipowitz come work them over for exactly. seven years. I mean, it's just it just it's very. In the truest sense, it is just so un-American. It is just so unbelievably un-American. It just uh, that, that it just goes almost beyond my uh, my verbal capacity to express how angry it makes me. And we did not do this with the Germans, who were prisoners of war, nor the Japanese. However, we did inter some of them during World War II. So I don't I, I see where their technicality is, and that is to say that 
Guantanamo Bay is not part of the United States. Seriously, you know. So therefore, they can do what they want. Well, that's handy, isn't it? So yes, is, it Guant- is. is Guantanamo Bay the, is it the sometimes why of the penal institution? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> is it part of American soil or not? I don't know. What do you want to do to us? Well, we want to hold you accountable for being torturing bastards. Ooh, I'm sorry. It's not part of the United States. Final Jeopardy. I'm Seriously. Sorry. You know what? How about, how about this? Not part of the United States. How about if Guantanamo Bay is ever overrun by a bunch of Islamic militants who are angry that we've been torturing people? We won't come to their aid because you're not part of the United States. How about we won't? How about how about we won't come save you if anybody decides to uh, uh, to come uh, pay a little house call because you're not part of the country, jackasses. Jesus. California Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, says athletes need to let kids know that steroids and other drug use is not cool. Speaking. Really? Does Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> think that really? How about uh, how about smoking pot and fondling the bosoms of women? Yeah, I do not use steroids because it hurt me and my brain, and I got elected as the California governor. That was unexpected, but funny. It's right there. I didn't imagine that that voice would ever come out of your head. Well done, Chuck. I didn't either, so there it is. Anyway, he was speaking about Alex Rodriguez's admission of using steroids back in the the early 2000s. Yeah, because kids really, at this point... what is he saying? That athletes need to come out and say, yes. don't take steroids? Think cool. Don't take steroids or you will end up a rich, famous athlete who gets to have sex with Madonna. You don't want that. I mean, you might not want the Madonna part, actually, because apparently she's grisly at this point. But seriously, <laughs> don't take steroids. You'll end up on the cover of Sports Illustrated, kids. Drugs are bad, sort of. A man accused of assaulting a Fayetteville, Arkansas woman was taken into custody recently after being released from the Robeson County Jail. It turns out the assault was a result of he threw a can of pop, an an an, an, un, an unopened can, hit her in the head, oh. and he is charged with a assault, and you know he popped her. I'm just obviously. Okay. I'm just uh, I'm just back on your business of calling it pop. Does it say that in the story? No, I just kind of embellished it because I thought it kind of worked. I'll get it soda and pop. Okay, but my okay, but see, but where are you from originally? Right here in this city. This so fair city. Okay, where are you from originally? Where did you? Well, let me ask you this: Where's the first place you remember living? I'm not really from anywhere. Um, I guess Spain. You were created in a petri dish. Uh, so Spain. Well, that doesn't count. Where's okay. the first place in America you remember living? Uh, Woodby Island. Did they say soda or pop or soda pop? Soda. See, so that's weird. No, pop. Was, I never said pop, pop was done here. Soda is an East Coast thing. See, and so, but they said soda on Woodby Island. Uh, Whidbey Island is an amalgam of people from elsewhere. Because it's the Guantanamo it's Bay of the Northwest. It is. It's true. Like it's a naval base. So yeah. that's true, I guess. And more than half of the yeah, I mean, that was the minority at my school. Like half of the kids were Filipino. Okay, now that would make sense, I guess. So, um, so yeah, the soda and pop thing. And can we all agree that no offense, Chuck, pop makes you sound like a rube. <laughs> Thank you. No, I mean, there's just there's no getting around it. Uh, and don't get me wrong, uh, my whole family said pop, and even as a kid. I just instinctively sensed somehow that that made you sound like a hillbilly. And so I just, and so I don't, which is not to say that you do, Chuck. I'm saying it's a linguistic holdover from the way we all were raised in the Northwest. But there are certain Northwest things that I have worked really hard to expunge from my my dialect. And pop is one of those. Really? Because growing up, it's kind of like how people from the South, like Stephen Colbert. You know, Stephen Colbert Mm -hmm. has a very strong Southern accent. Have you ever heard Stephen Colbert use his real, the Mm -hmm. voice he grew up with? It'll it'll weird your ass out. It'll 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 freak with you, man. It'll, it it is it's weird because Colbert's from South Carolina, I believe. And I mean, I'm not gonna do the bet, but you know, South Carolina has a South Carolina accent, and 
it's so bizarre to look at Stephen Colbert and realize that like that's the way that he talked for most of his life. But then he realized that he said in his own words that people from the South weren't taken seriously because of that voice. So he worked to lose it, and he modeled himself on TV newscasters, which is why he does that newscaster yeah. voice so well. Yeah. But I tried so hard to lose certain things from the way my family talked. Uh, and one of those things was pop. Because I just, it, because just as a kid, I guess I would watch TV, and I would see people in movies that would say, you know, soda. And I thought, well, soda's two syllables. That must be better than pop, mm. which is one syllable. And I, and so I just did everything I could not to say that, which is, and my wife is the same way with things from Utah. Uh, there's a whole lot of Utah-isms that people will uh, use, and you can spot that they're from Utah. If you ever hear somebody say, oh, my heck, that is a person from Utah. Oh. Uh, or, or, or from a strongly Mormon culture, anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, Utah. Or like doggone it. Doggone it, maybe. That, that might be more of a, uh, I think I might say that in the South, but maybe I'm just thinking that because I've seen it in movies. Like the Apple Dumpling Gang said that or whatever. But people in Utah, they will say, oh, my heck. They, they don't say the F word, obviously, because they're pure. And they don't, say, they don't even say fracking. They don't even go to the Battlestar route. Uh, people from Utah say fetching. Really? Uh, get me the get, you know get me the fetchin pop. Uh, the fetchin is there. That is their uh, euphemism for the for the most vile of, of profanities. So you ever hear those? And but Lara has done everything she can to break that. And occasionally she'll do that thing of like it's like you always know what your mother tongue is if you hit your thumb with a hammer. <laughs> you know, pound 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 ah! And whatever you curse in, that's your native language. Uh, and so she will drop something and she'll say, Oh my heck! And I will, you know, from the other room, I'd be like, Mormon! And then she, you know, then she gets all embarrassed. So, all right. Pop. Yeah, Pop. My father worked in the grocery business forever, and that was what they used as a term for It's just, it's a weird, like, where did it come? It's a more interesting word. I'll give you that. Pop is a more interesting, it's a more, it's a, it's a more fun word. I think it's the result of the fizziness of the... And it makes a popping sound yeah. when you open it. Yeah. All right. Hey, final question, then we'll break. Chuck, uh, I don't know if this is a Northwest thing, or maybe a West Coast thing. Do you remember Green River Soda? Yes, I do. Yeah, Green River was a an old fashioned. You could go to a soda fountain when I was a little kid. You go to a soda fountain and ask for a Green River, and it was it was green. It tasted a little a bit a bit like Seven Up or Bubble Up or or uh, one of those. And Bubble it, Up. Bubble Up was fantastic. Bubble Up yeah. was like Squirt. You remember Squirt? Yeah. Yeah, I remember Squirt. I've never heard Bubble Up. Oh, in fact, no, no, no. Bubble Up was like Seven Up. I think it was. It was similar. Yeah, uh, I don't know what Squirt was like. Squirt is like a drink unto itself. It's actually. grapefruit. It's, yeah, it's grapefruit and kind of bitter but sweet. But yeah, bubble up is like was like Seven Up. Bubble up, I don't think they make that anymore. I don't think so. I mean, either. Bubble up is gone. Uh, you know what they still make, which is too sweet for me now. But when I was a kid, I loved was Crush. Crush was crush a fantastic. Like crush, crush. Yeah. and it's got the greatest name. There's something really cool about the name. You know, Strawberry Crush. Uh, but uh, but Green River was a lime soda. Uh, and by the way, just uh, FYI, uh, G- Green River is actually what the Creedence Clearwater Revival song of the same name is about. It was inspired by John Fogarty. He was looking at a bottle of Green River, and he's like, I'd write me a song about that. Uh, so that it actually came from really? the name of the soda. Green River is one of those things that I've never seen anywhere outside the Northwest, though. I've never seen Green River soda even referenced anywhere but here. So maybe it's everywhere. But you know, there's a place not. in Hollywood where you can go and get, and there is a soda fountain there, and you can go. Get me a Lime Ricky. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, Lime Ricky is going to be uh, my. It's going to be my drag name, by the way. <laughs> Take a break. Back after this, uh, the Rick Emerson Show continues with Chuck Knopp. Uh, coming up later on, we will talk to Lisa Desjardins, James Roop, who was at the Oscars, and uh, Peter Carlin. Don't go anywhere. It's the Rick Emerson Show. You stay right there.
thing he did at the beginning, where Jackman did the stripped-down song-and-dance deal, that's what the whole night should have felt like. And they were, oh, do you know this, too? Because they were trying to get across this sort of minimalistic vibe. They were doing the Leno thing, where they had, Jackman had his, um, he had his, like, stage out into the crowd. And, of course, the crowd is different there, because it's, you know, it's like, it's like Will Smith and... And uh, Brad and Angelina, right there where uh, Jennifer Aniston can see them. And, but I mean, Hugh Jackman's like walking right out into the people. So, which is, you know, so that was pretty great. So that part of it really worked. Um, all right, so let's do this, Chuck. Let's plunge on into the Oscar news here. And in terms of sound, uh, you're going to have to uh, give me a second, because as you get the sound, if you can tell me what the cut is called, and I'll play it. We're going to have to kind of do it ad hoc this here. Is, this is real radio here. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, and by real, we mean unprepared, uh, because I couldn't get these cuts to come up earlier. So Yeah, so, uh, well, let's do this. On KCMD Portland. Yes. Um, you want me to give you the... You want you want the cut sheet, or do you want me to read from it? Why don't you Why don't you just uh, What's going right. to be easier for you? I mean, the, the names are all weird. It's all like Oscar eighty one John Legend. Yes. yes. But if you want to do that, I, and I can play. I got them all here in front of me. Just okay. uh, you read well, the cut. You know, lead up to it. Tell me what it is, and we'll play it. Okay. This would be Oscar eighty one. This is Buffoy, um, best adapted screenplay winner. Discusses best picture winner Slumdog Millionaire. That was done in Mumbai. In 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 one blink of an eye, you can see the most beautiful woman walk past you in a sari followed by a person with no arms or legs on a skateboard begging. In one single movement, and it's a place of massive extremes. And so I just responded to that and started writing with these kind of extremes because it seemed appropriate to the place. I will say this about Slumdog Millionaire. First of all, uh, I haven't seen it yet, and I keep meaning to. I really do. I keep meaning do. to, too, and I haven't yet. Because I will say this. Maybe it's a masterpiece. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's Best Picture of the Year. Maybe, maybe it isn't. I mean, in terms of like a subjective sense. I haven't heard a single person say anything less than that they liked it. Yes. I mean, that's, uh, you know, and people who I really respect, uh, uh, you know, have, have said that it's just, you know, that, it, that, it, that it's amazing. Um, my, uh, my friend Patrick uh, Rochelle uh, saw it, and he was just, you know, he was over the moon about it. Uh, my friend, uh, you know, my friend Nate Baker saw it and loved it, and it's just everybody I know who has seen it has at minimum said, yes, you should see it. It's a good film. Uh, and, and I know several people who are just like, it's, it's jaw-dropping, it's amazing. And it's from the guy who did Train Spotting and Shallow Grave and yeah. 28 Days Later. And, and, I, and, and so John Stewart loved it, and John Stewart described it as being, he said it was the bleakest feel-good film ever made. And I know that since I haven't seen it, I kind of only know what that you know, means vaguely. But he said it was the bleakest feel-good film of all time. And that there were a lot of very powerful sort of dark moments, but then it ends up being very life-affirming. And Benjamin Button is kind of that way, too, although it's not as bleak, I think. Uh, but he said it was very dark, but very, at the end, uplifting and triumphant and so forth. Well, let's stay with uh, Slumdog and the Best Director winner, Danny Boyle. This is uh, Cut 81 BS Boyle. And he says he felt talking to journalists help him learn more about his film... And obviously it won Best Picture. I personally think you find out a lot about the film by doing this work, weirdly. It sounds a very weird thing to admit, but it's true. You sort of find out about the film by talking to journalists constantly about the film. And I know that it, the, the general... I'm mean, like late to the party here because I'm the guy who hasn't seen Best Picture. That's right. Steve Kasim completely set the he bar. Seen any he hasn't seen any of them. So it's like I really. I mean, I look like uh, I look like Ebert's home video companion compared to that guy. But um, I know that it's about you know a kid who's you know of course from a slum who gets on the uh, you know he gets on the Indian version of uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. And as I understand, there's no spoilers here. But 
they're questioning how he could possibly know the answers to these obscure questions. And the movie is a series of flashbacks showing the experiences that many, he had to get the yeah. And I think many of them traumatic, from which he learned a factoid that he then used on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. And I guess that's with a combination of uplifting and sort of sad all, all mixed together. So, so his pain it's a great goes, gimmick. That's something yeah. yeah. incredible. And yeah. it's just a great gimmick, and I and I just uh, you know, and I feel like an ass for having seen it. But what do you, what do you do? I mean, well, so many hours. Well, now we can't see it today because you know everybody oh, in the God, world no. is going to see it. No, 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 you can't. You can't do that. So if, instead, I here's what I did last night, by the way, and I'm not done with it yet. I got like 20 minutes left, so don't be emailing me like spoilers, lol, about it. So instead of watching Slumdog Millionaire, so I go we go to the Oscars, and then I go to uh, uh, Storm and Davies Studio, and I'm singing on this song with you know <laughs> Sam Adams and everybody else. So I do that, and then I go home, and I'm watching this. I mean, I, I, I'm not even finished with it. I got about 20 minutes left, and I can already say it's one of the most, one of the most powerful films I've seen in 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 a year. Uh, and it's this movie called Let the Right One In, which is a um, a Swedish film about. And again, I'm not spoiling anything. It is a Swedish film about uh, a 12 year old boy and a 12 year old girl. And it's the sort of, you know, not a romance, because that's the, you know, but you know what they get, you know, it's like the, when you're, boys and girls are 12 years old, and you get the thing where it's like, you're not really dating, but you're not really friends. It's that weird kind of like friend, childhood friendship crush sort of thing, mm. right before teenage years, sort of, you know, sort of weird everything out. But it's this kind of outcast 12-year-old girl and an outcast 12-year-old boy who have this friendship slash, they're kind of a, have, you know, kind of a yeah. pre-boyfriend, girlfriend thing. Um, but the girl is a vampire and it's, and I'm making it sound like a comedy, which it's not. It's a very, very bleak, but beautiful kind of film. It's just, it's just, it's like nothing I have ever seen. It's, it is just, it's just, uh, it really is art. And, uh, but I got about 20 minutes left on that. So, so that's what I did last night. Instead of like watching anything that the other people would be talking about today, because what's the point of that? All right, Chuck, let's plunge on ahead. Well, speaking of Kate Winslet, uh, she talks about the emotion of the character she played in The Reader, and that is cut uh, Winslet 1. I don't have any concerns, you know. I mean, I can't be responsible for the emotional response that an audience has to any film. I don't think any actor really can. And I think going into it, I was very aware that if an audience did feel any level of sympathy for Hannah and that they felt morally compromised as a consequence, that that would be an interesting emotion for them to then deal with. You know, it's a weird thing about that movie is the reader. Uh, there was an interview with her, because it's like older woman, teenage boy thing. And I guess, because of the way they do, I, and I, I never know how anything works uh, in terms of like what you can film or show or what you can. And I, I guess it was made in America. It must have been made in America. Uh, because I guess there was some deal where the boy, he was 17 when they started filming. And I guess there's a scene where they're having the sex. And I guess they had to wait till he was 18 to film the scene, Kate Winslet was saying. <laughs> so I guess he, they couldn't even film the simulated uh, making of love until he was 18 because, you know, because we're tight asses. Uh, and, you know, like even if it's fake in a movie, like you can't be depicting it or whatever, which is weird, but doesn't make any sense to me. Unless that's a law that they've just created in the past couple of years. Because remember, like in 1998, I saw that Adrian Lyne remake of Lolita. With Dominique Swain, it was like 15 or something. So Dominique and didn't Dakota Fanning just film a scene like his Hound a... Dog? Yeah. Yeah, she played an 11-year-old who, uh, you know, was uh, yeah, was assaulted, and that mm -hmm. was the whole thing. So I don't know 
what the, what that's all about. But, uh, but it was some weirdness about how they had to wait for the kid to turn yeah. 18. You have to be 18 in order you, in order to have sexual relations legally. You can be two years older if you are if one of the uh, consenting. Uh, persons in that relationship is less than 18. But if you, but if it's just like a simulated thing in a movie, I just don't... I, it's just like a weird law that I guess maybe they just now... Maybe they've just now... Because she was very clear, like, they had to wait, and there were certain things they couldn't film because of the age of the actor. Although maybe, you know, that might actually... Now, that it might have just been the studio. Like, maybe the studio just did that because they didn't want to have any weirdness. Although, can I just, like, speaking man to man, to man here, okay. uh, whoever the kid is in that film, whoever the, whoever the boy is... Uh, it was in that role, although I guess he, you know, I guess he's a man now. <laughs> but um, I do not envy an 18-year-old guy uh, having to film a simulated sex scene with Kate Winslet uh, in front of like 80 people and having to uh, just remain um, calm. I mean, I just don't. I can't even imagine. I mean, that would just. You might be just be so terrified that nothing would happen if you know what I'm talking about, and you do. But I mean. I mean, it really only takes, as Xander once said, pretty much linoleum is enough to get uh, young boys uh, thinking in that direction. Um, and I don't envy, like, some 17, 18-year-old uh, guy who's filming a movie where Kate Winslet is pretending to have sex with him and, like, everybody's watching. I mean, that's just got to be in the back of your head. He's still going, uh, Wicker Furniture. Uh, uh, um, uh, Mountain Rushmore. Calvin and Hobbes. <laughs> Dead Babies. Waffle Iron. Ah! Right. Here's um, Chuck Knopf, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, let's let's go to Woody Allen and his movie, um, which was God. It doesn't it, it isn't mentioned here. It was uh, Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Yeah, I saw that, and that yeah. was the first Woody Allen movie that I could, as I was sitting in the seat watching credits roll, I understood what it was about. I got it. It seems like you would be a Woody Allen fan. Cause you're I am. A... I am, but sometimes it's so obtuse. You go, three weeks later, right. what was that? Well, sometimes Woody Allen... Woody Allen only has um, um, two schools of thought. Uh, one, you know, there's only... Uh, he only has two modes. Woody Allen either has slapstick on the surface kooky yeah. mode... Which he even does now, which is like Curse of the Jade Scorpion, which I quite yeah. like. Or messed up match point mode. Well, yeah, or he has neurotic mode, and yeah. however, whatever form that takes. Match point, which is like his Hitchcock film. Or even like um, my favorite Woody Allen film, uh, which is, you know, I don't even, don't even want to say it. My favorite, because then it's like you think of another one, but um, Crimes and Misdemeanors. Yeah, I love that Which one. is my favorite, which is just, I mean, it's just a masterpiece. It's flawless. Uh, Deconstructing Harry, I love that as well. Yeah. Deconstructing Harry, that's the first Woody Allen film uh, my wife had ever seen. And we, our first date was to see um, this movie In the Company of Men, which is a messed up film. Um, but then uh, she had never seen a Woody Allen film. And she was, I always say these things when she's not around to defend herself. And it seems like I'm kind of tagging her behind her back. Um, bless you, Chuck. Bless you. Uh, but she was a woman studies student. And I think we know what we're talking about when I say that. And so she was, you know, Woody Allen, and she heard all, you know, she just heard all of the same, you know, the blown out of proportion, like, you know, the, the crap about Woody Allen and the, that he was, yeah, you know. Yeah. And just all, all of the sort of scurrilous garbage that people say about that guy. And she, so she had resisted seeing his films. Because she's like, I just don't want to support that, you know, that kind of thing. And I'm like, okay, you got to see a Woody Allen film. So we saw Deconstructing Harry, which is just fantastic. And that was that movie enough was enough to convert her because it's you know that's the, cause the thing people don't realize about Woody Allen is that people don't watch Woody Allen Woody Allen films is that they're hilarious. Yes. 
I mean, they're hilarious. I mean, and not in like a thinky highbrow kind of way. I mean, they're hilarious in the, in the way that every other comedy is hilarious. It's just that it's like a neurotic New York guy with like the glasses, which is, I think, what's off-putting to some people. But Vic and Christina Barcelona, you can always tell when they think a Woody Allen movie has a shot at mainstream success because they don't put his name anywhere in the ads. <laughs> it's like Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Look how hot Javier Bardem is. Look how hot Penelope Cruz is. Look how hot uh, Scarlett Johansson is. And it's like at the end they just mm. like you would. It's like in five point type. Yes. The whole trailer is like ninety seconds of Penelope Cruz and Scarlett Johansson and Javier Bardem. And a lot of that, by the way, Penelope Cruz and, and Scarlett Johansson looking like they're about to make out. And at the end, just like 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 a car dealer disclaimer. At the end, it's like it's so quick because they don't want anybody to know. By the way, that's the same thing they do to Spike Lee. You can tell when they think a Spike Lee joint might uh, resonate with uh, a broader audience because they will do everything they can to hide the fact that Spike Lee made the film, uh, such as Inside Job, uh, which is just a straight-up action film, a heist film. And, of course, they think that, like, you know, uh, like Mr. and Mrs. Beaverton might actually, well, let's go see that new bank film. I understand that there's a lot of action that takes place. It looks like a great movie and a real popcorn experience. But, of course, if they were to say, like, a film by Spike Lee, suddenly they're, I don't think we should go to that movie. Maybe we should watch King of Queens instead. Let's have a breadstick. You know, and it's like, so they, they always hide that, and as they did with Vicky Cristina Barcelona. I, I thought it was a great film, and here's a supporting actress, winner Penelope Cruz, talking about Woody Allen and its cut, S. Cruz. I grew up in a place called Alcobendas, where this was not a very realistic dream. And I always, the night of the Academy Awards, I stay up to watch the show. And, and I always felt that this was... The, the, this ceremony was a moment of unity for the world because art, in any form, has been and will always be our universal language. I don't love with never mind. Um, <laughs> hey, let me say this about Penelope Cruz. I can't name to you a single other film she's been in. I know she's been in a billion films. I know she, name when one. she was with Tom Cruise. I remember Tom Cruise and Penelope Cruise. They did a movie together. Did was it Eyes Wide Shut? Not Eyes Wide Shut. Vanilla Sky. That's the one I'm thinking. But was she in that, or am I just imagining? I think she that? was. Chuck, Vanilla Sky, Cameron Crowe, uh, Tom Cruise. I don't I think so. I mean, I know she's done many, 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 many films. I couldn't name one. I'm not trying to be, like, I'm not saying she doesn't matter or anything. Clearly she does. I'm just saying she's one of those uh, women that I just draw, I draw a blank spot for her. I just, I have, uh, I have nothing. I couldn't, uh, you know, she's just, she is, you know, in many ways, to in, like in my world, in the Rick Emerson world, she's the ultimate celebrity because she's famous and I totally know who she is. Couldn't tell you why. Like, I couldn't tell you, except for this, I couldn't tell you a single thing she's done. Just because I just, they, I guess maybe she makes, uh, I don't know, maybe it's just like a genre. Does she make... I mean, she must. I mean, she must make a lot of Spanish language films, but I mean, she makes a lot of English language films, and maybe they're like romantic comedies or something. Or I just don't. I couldn't. I couldn't even begin to tell you. Yeah, I got nothing. All right, do a few more, and then we'll actually talk to Jim Roop, who was at the Oscars last night. Lucky guy. Yeah, Gus Van Sant. You know him. He's he's from. He's one of us. He's one of the key Portland weird guys. Uh, best ask. Uh, bet, <laughs> best this. ass. Is that what you went for? <laughs> well, well, that's also true. I don't Scott. know if that's true. I'm talking about Sean Penn. I don't know if that's true either. Uh, he discusses the backlash in that film, Milk, which was the his yeah. his thing, and he was talking about just the the promotion it received and the response by uh, moviegoers. This is Pen One. This is Pen. Without one, it's just uh, Pen. Well, this may or may not be. Uh... Of Q is important than it. Oh wait, here we go. 
this culture of ignorance and and that breeds this kind of hateful expression that these people had the signs outside um, essentially telling you that uh, you're less than human um, there's nothing more important than than the themes that this movie as well as addressing things that are simply you know entertaining I think but but there's nothing more important than it um, so uh, what well, you want to talk about a guy that that just completely vanished into that though I mean just physically and yeah. his mannerisms and um I, and by the way, and we'll we'll get uh, uh, Rupin like five seconds here. I, I think also it should be noted. I mean, Sean, don't get me wrong. I love Sean Penn. He really is one of our most talented actors. He really is. It's like to me, it's Sean Penn. The, to, right now, in guys who are, and he's not even a thirty-something. I think he's in his forties now. But when I think of the three greatest actors in America currently working, the three mm-hmm. greatest American actors, mm-hmm. and talking about just strictly in terms of men, there's three. There's Johnny Depp, there's Sean Penn, and there's Ed Norton, and that's it. I mean, there's everybody, and then there's everybody else. And don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to knock anybody else, but I'm saying for me, those are the three big names right now. It's Ed Norton, it's Sean Penn, and it's Johnny Depp. They can do no wrong. Even in bad films, they act they act well. They're good actors. Um, Sean Penn, though, he he did that great thing in the speech of saying. He said, I know that I make it very difficult to like me sometimes, which was so great that he acknowledged it. Because that's what everybody's thinking. Like, oh, is he going to start talking about the Iraq war? Is he going to talk about whatever? And he acknowledged it, and he deflated all that tension by just saying it. Um, and I don't belong to that school of thought that, like, actors should just act and shut up. It's like you don't get any more right to an opinion because you're an actor, but you also don't, like, lose your right to an opinion. And that's that whole, like, that idiot Dixie Chicks thing, you know, like the shut up and sing uh, deal, which just irritates me to no end. I mean, it's... You know, it, 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 again, it's not like because you're Natalie Maines that, like, you, you know, your opinion means more. But it's not also like you, like you don't get you to say don't it get somehow. An opinion. Seriously, you're an American. By dint of being an American, you get an opinion. You get to say whatever you want. People don't like it, they can leave. Um, so I got no problem with that. But I'm glad that Sean Penn acknowledged it. But um, it just so as great as he is, and he is, it really has to be acknowledged what a brave thing it was for uh, Josh Brolin to play the role of Dan White, because Dan White, of course, is the guy who yeah. killed Harvey Milk, who assassinated him. Oh, he did? He is? And, oh, yeah. And Josh, well, I saw him in, in the Academy Awards because I hadn't seen it, but how he's shot from behind. Josh Brolin played Dan White, uh, who was the guy, he was actually... Uh, was he repressed, like homosexual? He was, he, was like, uh, he was a cop, was he not? He was. He was a cop, and, I mean, it's, there's a whole... You really should see milk, probably. Uh, which, and to be fair, no, I want to. It just seems like it's it's going to be so hard to watch. And that's the thing is, to be fair, I haven't seen it. Uh, I've seen the documentary on which it's based, which is called The Times of yeah, Harvey you and Milk. You were telling me about that. How it just it's The Times of Harvey Milk is it's beautiful in the way that like you know it's beautiful in the way of you know the, the, the struggle for rights and you know solidarity. But boys, it's just a big just a big punch in the junk. I mean, it's just. At the end, you're just crying like like a small child. There's just no getting around it. Um, but yeah, Dan White, who uh, and Harvey Milk was not the only person who shot, but that's who we're talking about right now. And he shot Harvey Milk, and then of course, famously, uh, I believe was acquitted, or would not acquitted, but was found not guilty by reason of insanity because, and I'm not making this up, Sarah, he was insane from a sugar imbalance because he'd had too many Twinkies. That was the. That was the famous Twinkie defense. It, Are you serious? No, that was it. Yeah, I'm not making that. And up. then he shot somebody else too. No, well, it was the same day. It was, you know, it was multiple shootings. But then at the trial, like I was crazy. I had too many Twinkies. 
No way. Is, you he, know, is he still alive? I, I actually don't know what's up with Dan. I Mike. don't either. I don't know. But anyway, so so you know, kudos to Josh Brolin, uh, who really is on his way to becoming a big star and a big leading man for taking a role where you got to do play something real bad and do something real ugly. So, and that's not the first time he's done that too. In that movie, uh, Gangs. Oh. What was it? Gangster, that gangster movie with Denzel Washington. And he plays like the corrupt evil oh, cop uh, guy, yeah, too. Uh, who like kills the dog. I mean, he's played some really gnarly roles. Yeah. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from Los Angeles. You there? Oh, I think I picked up the wrong line. Oh, that's me. I picked up the wrong line. That was not even Jim. I picked up the wrong line. There. Uh, you think of American Gangster. American Gangster, thank you. Where he plays the guy who uh, he's like, plants drugs. So this is. Um, so right. I need to play it again. Hello, Jim Roop. <laughs> Howdy. That was me. I did that. I'm sorry. That's quite. Uh, I'm an ass. Uh, Why things up on me all the time? Uh, all right. So, uh, so how much sleep are you going on right now? I haven't had any yet. Uh, but you're talking about Harvey Milk. <laughs> you know, I, I haven't seen the film, but if I remember, Dan White, who was a supervisor at the time in San Francisco, yeah, uh, he shot Milk like in the arm and the chest, and then twice in the head or something like that. After he shot Moscone in the other. It, uh, on the other end of City right, Hall. Right. He walked all the way down, reloaded his gun, and, uh, you know, invited Milk into his office. Yeah, it was, I mean, it, and I forget now, I'm kind of blanking on some of the details about what what led up to it, you know, in his head, or why, what the breaking point was, and I knew... Well, there was, from what I remember, and, you know, I was, I was just graduating from high school at the time, but it was a big deal. Um, Dan White had some trouble on the board of supervisors and i think the the whole idea was really just to confront milk and moscone about that uh about that right right whatever crap was going on and then he decided to shoot moscone four times i think it was four or five times well and i think that was the thing they noted is that uh you know it's one of those one of those things that comes out at trial when they're talking about the sentencing and the whatever and that it was like the it was the shooting emptying the gun Reloading, yeah, you know, like that's the thing. Like it, it and walked to the other side of the building. That's then walked on down the hall, as Jelly Offer once said. And it's it. That's the thing. Is it's like, as they always say, like I think in the Shawshank Redemption, they talk about uh, you know, the crime about like, look, you go in, your wife's in bed with another guy, you know, crime of passion is a crime of passion. But they're like, you know, that he did it, and then he stopped, and then he reloaded, and like that was the thing. Well, um, yeah, and so that was the thing with with Dan White is is he shot George uh, uh, Moscone Moscone uh, who was the he was the he was the, uh, so did the he mayor. Kill him as well yeah he was assassinated he was the mayor okay. at the time yeah he was the first one that, yeah uh, Dan White shot and then you remember who became acting mayor uh wait no 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 don't tell me uh, I know you're not going to tell me it was uh, Diane Feinstein it was Diane Feinstein ah look at me remembering that yeah. all right she's the one who made the uh, made the announcement that uh, Dan White turned himself in. Mm. But yeah, so he short and shot George Moscone and then and then yeah, then he went down the hall and 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 shot Harvey Milk and it was just um and so there's and again, so I'm not And if you ever seen a, if you've ever seen a picture of Harvey Milk, I mean, it was pretty close to what Sean yeah. Penn looked in that in that movie. And and uh, and I'll say this and I don't mean to be um this will come out wrong and then I'll make it sound right. When I say that I don't want to give away spoilers. I don't mean that to sound how it sounds. And we see the documentary, The Times of Harvey Milk. What I mean by that is it ends with this scene, and I'm really not spoiling it because I can't possibly oversell it. It'll take your breath away. It ends with that candlelight march that they I get chills just thinking about it. It ends with showing the candlelight march that they did after Harvey Milk was, was assassinated, and it just, 
it's just so unbelievably. I mean, it's it's that it's what I call that like Schindler's uh, list, uh, you know, thing where it ends and it's like you're 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 sad, but you're angry, but it's like you sort of believe in maybe the small spark of of human solidarity and whatever, and but then you're like angry again, and then you're sad again, and then you just want to go home and just sit in a, sit in a room and speak to no one for like a week. Yeah. So anyway, anyway, I, 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 don't, I don't know that it was. I don't I don't remember it really being about Harvey Milk being gay. Dan White wanted his job back. Yeah, I think it was. That's see, that's the insane thing about it is I think it was just like this bureaucratic deal that I mean, not that it would have made any more sense or been any less insane, I guess, but it's just it was it is the very definition of that like everything seemed fine and then uh, you know, but of course if the place was just San Francisco, of course, just such a powder keg in so many ways, and the country was just coming off like wave after wave of bad anyway. Here's a, here's a quote from the New York Times about what happened. A largely white middle-class section that is hostile to the growing homosexual community of San Francisco. As supervisor, Mr. White made it clear that he saw himself as the board's defender of the home, the family, and religious life against homosexuals, uh, pot smokers, and cynics. And by the way, our good friend Don Taylor has said... Uh, well, things apparently things took care of themselves. Mm-hmm. While serving uh, years for manslaughter, uh, two really uh, he served five years for manslaughter. Dan White did. Two years after his relief, climbed into his car, closed the garage door, and committed suicide via carbon monoxide poisoning. F. All right, as she says, FYI. Well, good for you, Dan White. Um, there are a lot of people ticked off at the sentence he received. Five years. Well, again, because uh, the, the involuntary manslaughter, right? Involuntary manslaughter, and it was mitigated by his mental state. And if you ever hear anybody, for you kids out there, if you ever hear anybody say, "Oh, that's a real Twinkie defense," or he used the Twinkie defense, he it was mitigated by his mental state, which uh, was unstable, and it was contributed to uh, by a uh, blood sugar imbalance brought on by eating too many Twinkies. And it sounds. So absurd, it's like you would never believe it. I mean, that's such a cliche, but you'd never believe that if it was just scripted in a movie. Um, you know, I had too many Twinkies. That's why all the killing. You know, By and the way, it, I agree with you about Depp, Norton, and Penn. Because that, that's like, that's the Duvall, Nero, you know, I, I almost want to say Al Pacino, but I might want or to Or Dustin James Hoffman. Uh, or, nah, I'd, I'd go James Conn before I'd go Dustin Or James Conn. Yeah. I mean, you know, you look at Ed Norton, for example. You look at him in American History X, and you look at him in Fight Club. Yeah. And you look at him in rounders, and it's like intellectually, I know they're the same guy, but they don't seem like the same guy at all. I mean, they they you know uh, they just uh, they're such different characters, and he just embodies it. And uh, same thing with I mean Johnny Depp, of course, it goes without saying. The guy's just you know, he's a chameleon, and and uh, you know and Sean Penn is just and the fact that he can still do that even after creating such a public persona with his political activism and you know all that stuff that can get in the way that he can just you know that he delivers. You put well, him on I camera like and he you delivers. Guys were saying about you know um, uh, about having an opinion, and that you, you know they're allowed to have an opinion. The um, the thing about being a celebrity and having an opinion is you get a lot of people that you can tell. <laughs> right, right. You know? And depending upon what you want to use with that opinion, you know, like Sean Penn has never really tried to do anything for personal gain. Right, right. You know, which is why to me that's okay, but. I don't know. You, you you walk a fine line when you're a celebrity and you start mouthing off. Yeah, I, I just uh, just to recap what we said earlier. I really do think that it is. You know, you got to give to Josh Brolin for. Oh yeah. I mean, because I mean, let let's be honest. There's a difference between playing, you know, Hannibal Lecter, who's you know he's a cannibal and he's crazy and he kills people and he's whatever, but who's you know he's he's a movie villain. He's you know, and it's an, it's one thing to play that. And look, let's be honest. Also, given the tenor and tone of the country, mm-hmm. Josh Brolin played George W. Bush. And then he played 
uh, Dan White, and obviously for different reasons in different ways, but uh, neither of those guys, uh, certainly George Bush, not popular with big sections of the country right now, and that's not just with the Hollywood crowd. I mean, just with people, people are ready to kind of be done with him, I think, even if they voted for him, they're kind of ready to move on. And then playing Dan White is just a bastard, and... You know, and Josh Brolin, he's a good-looking guy, kind of a rugged, you know, look to him, kind of a, you know, he's kind of got a little, some of his dad, but kind of got the cowboy thing going on, and it's, he could just play macho action parts, and it, it is kind of uh, cool to see that he's not doing that. He is taking risks, and he's, he's in roles where people might not like him, Yeah. you know, so, um, well, anyway, we'll move on to know all the serious yeah. stuff here, but, yeah, what, but I mean, what, what, what stands out for you from the night, sir? You know, I liked a couple of things. I, I think Hugh Jackman has a job for life if he wants it. He was great. He was charming. I, I, thought, he, I thought he was great. I thought he, he knew exactly what he was supposed to do. Yeah. Be the, just be the thread that weaves the tapestry together. It's not the Hugh Jackman show. Don't be a comedian. Just get out there and bring all the elements together. Right. I like the concept of having the past winners come out and pay tribute to each nominee. That was which cool. Un, which underscores that whole thing. It's just great to be nominated. Yeah. Because the stuff they were saying about each nominee, man, that, they're winners. But I think it was too long. They got to figure out a way to maybe cut a couple of production numbers if they're going to do it that way, um, or figure out a better way to hone that down. And I, I tell you, if anybody can personify winning without winning, it's Mickey Rourke. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, we were talking about that last night actually. Um, that um, the thing about Mickey Rourke and Sean Penn. Um, I'm sorry, his Chuck's computer is making a clicky click. Oh, okay. There. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Um, no, no, no. Is that your Pardon me, Jim. Uh, it's not your mic. It's actually... It was the computer. It, had... it was a holdover from the Tim Riley era where he could never figure out how to turn anything off. And so we iPodded your computer down because oh. when you're clicking through windows, it's going in the background. So, now that you know, I guess uh, I could actually just go over and fix that one of these days. Um, <laughs> didn't seem right because I would, you know, Tim, can I fix this? Uh, I think I'll get it handled. And it never that was very good. Um... What was my point? Oh, but so we were talking about this last night about you know we you know everybody has their favorites and the people they're rooting for and whatever and and of course you know Gus Van Sant's from Portland so we you know everybody Milk is a huge you know huge favorite here and Sean Penn won and I have no issues with that and and the thing is even because you just said it because even though we're all rooting for Mickey Rourke it's like in terms of the 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 revamping and the resurrection. Like the job is done. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like he he got what he needed, and I don't mean that in a crass way. I mean, the Oscar would have just not been redundant, but you know, it wasn't necessary. At this it would point. have it would have added nothing to the story. Yeah, he has he's come back. I mean, which is you know, which is a, a thing that I don't think anybody ever thought was possible. And you are totally right that even well, though no, he didn't win, he won. Something Sean Penn said backstage that you know everybody in this business has to make a comeback every day. Yeah. You know, because once you know you're looking for your next job, once the, once the one is is over. Sure. And um, he said, but what Mickey Rourke has gone through is more a resurrection than a comeback. Um, he didn't say those words, but you know, that's that's what he meant because the poor guy has a hard time sometimes stringing two words together. Sure. To thought. But he 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 genuinely, and I believe this because I, I I talked to him at the Oscars luncheon and a few other times during this process. He, because of what was going on the rest of the award show season, didn't think he was going to win last night. He was really caught by surprise. Right. Evidence of that, he forgot once again to thank his wife and his acceptance. Yeah. I heard that. I was just going to ask if, yeah, if you had noticed But when I well. saw them at the governor's ball, she was all over, man. She didn't care. She, you know, she knows that, you know, she's part of the mix. And he doesn't have to say it. I swear to God, that's a cool couple. Those two are, 
Every time I've seen him anyway, and, and even at the governor's ball, I just stopped in there for a little bit. But, man, they, she was so proud of him, and it was not fake. You know, it was great. Well, because he's, he's doing legitimately good quality work. And I don't mean that's because it's serious. I mean, he's just, he's the real deal. And he seems like, you know, and he, you know, he can seem like kind of a, a jerk in public, but I mean, that's, I know that a lot of that comes, that's just a, you know, that you get that shell from being a star from when you're, you know, Spicoli, uh, you know, for example. And, you know, he does seem to have a pretty grounded sensibility about everything. I got to say this, actually, that um, I told uh, Lara last night. I said that uh, I said that, you know if I ever win an Academy Award because it's very likely I said if I ever win an Academy <laughs> Award the the thing what I'm going to do in my acceptance speech I'm not going to thank anybody else I'm not going to thank another single person I said this is what will uh, totally this will this will make me famous for life and I'm going to say this now and then somebody else will do it but this I'm calling dibs on this right now this is how I would become legend because you know you think back let me ask you this Jim and I'll ask uh, uh, Chuck the same question when I ask you the three acceptance speeches that immediately come to mind as memorable what are they well, the Sally Fields, you like me, you really like me. Right. It yep. comes out right away. Yeah. Um, the, what's that Indian chick that accepted the... <laughs> For Marlon Brando? Yeah. Wounded Knee. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember the speech. Well, I don't remember what she said. But, uh, and... Um, I don't know. I'm saying for me, Louise Fletcher, when she signed to her parents... Louise Fletcher wins for Cuckoo's Nest, and then she did the thing in sign language because her parents are, are deaf. Um, so, and, you know, and Chuck, I, you and I are on the same page with really, that. Really, really like me. Yeah, the Sally, thank God they didn't play that last night. Thank for the love of God. When they were going through the list yeah. of, you know, the, the cavalcade of female winners, you know, best actress, and I was like, oh, God, please don't let them play. And then they didn't, and it was wonderful. But, um, but they used that silly laugh of, what's her name? Uh, Julia Roberts. Yeah. Uh, but here's what I would do. If I ever win an Academy Award, here's how I will become memorable. Uh, I'm not, you know, like Roberto Benigni's done the thing of climbing over the furniture, and the guy last night balanced the Oscar on his chin. That was cool. Um, I'm going to do this. I'm not going to thank anybody else, but I'm going to thank, uh, you know, my wife. I'm going to thank my wife, you know, the lovely Lara. And I will say this. I will say, and I'm thanking her on behalf of every girlfriend, wife, partner, you know, significant other, husband, who has been overlooked by someone at this podium. Because how many times do you see that happen? And it always jumps off the screen. And, like, Dude, I know that guys... That be played at every Oscar. Dude, I have been at so many Oscar, like, watching things, where it's not even the chicks, it's the guys who are there, and they're like, dude, dude, thank you, oh, you're, dude, thank your wife, thank your wife, oh, thank your wife, thank, it's gotta uh, be the first thing, forget your freaking agent, you ain't going home with him. That's the thing, it's like, you, you, seriously, oh, and your maybe, agent, let me just be honest, your agent dumps you, uh, you're only, you know, you're gonna get an extra 10, your agent dumps you, you gain 10%, your wife dumps you, you lose 50%, <laughs> alright, thank your wife, thank your wife, for the love of God. And every guy is like, dude, he didn't thank his wife. He blew it. He totally ho. He's going to get it tonight. Uh, or not get it as the case may be. But my thing is, you're right. I, I would thank my wife, and I would do a little blurb about how I was thanking her on behalf of every wife who never got thanked. And then everybody would love me. Yep. Forever they would. Yes, that they would. would. played at every Oscars. Yeah. Well, for the people hey, who you know, you you're see, talking about. Did anybody there see Slumdog? Uh, no, I was just saying that I've been intending to see it, and I've just been so behind I haven't. I saw I, Benjamin I, I Button and uh, The Wrestler, but I didn't see Slumdog. I, I saw it, and I, I still don't get it. 
I don't get why it's uh, why everybody loves that movie. So well, then maybe you're... that's the secret. Maybe nobody gets it, but they're all trying to pretend like it's fabulous. I was telling Sarah actually that yeah. everybody I know who yeah. saw it, uh, you know, you know, most people could be wrong. I said that uh, you know everybody I know at least gave it a thumbs up. Some people raved about it, but nobody. Well, it's not a bad movie. Don't get me wrong. It's a good movie. It's a real. It's a good story. You just don't get the. And it's kind of funny just to hear the guy try to say millionaire. <laughs> but I, I don't get why it's won all this hardware. I, and, and I said that last night. I said either I'm the dumbest guy in this room. Which could very well be. <laughs> I, I I do not profess to know anything other than my address, but I just don't get the hype and why this is doing so well. So you get the movie, you just don't get the uh, yeah, the I accolades. Get the movie. The movie, oh, I, I, oh, I know why the accolades. I can tell you if you want to know. Tell me. It's because every year, sometimes it skips a year, but every year there is the quirky foreign film starring a young boy that captures America's hearts. Uh, or this, or this, the quirky. Here's what here's what America loves uh, to import in, in terms of film. America loves two things. One is the quirky foreign film about either a boy or a hard scrabble bunch of dudes doing something they're not supposed to do. I will give you three examples, lest anybody think I'm just bumping my gums. America loves foreign films, and it's always guys in these films. America loves foreign films about working-class guys doing things they're not supposed to, because then it's great. Uh, Billy Madison. Yeah. Uh, you know, hey, he's a boy from a working-class neighborhood, but he tap dances. Mm. Full Monty. They're guys from a working-class neighborhood, but they're stripping. Uh, Slumdog Millionaire. He's a boy from a lower-class neighborhood. Buddies on who wants to be a millionaire. All you do, you take poor person, have their doing, have them doing something poor people aren't supposed to do, and then there you go, instant American love. Yeah, I think I was trying to figure it out too hard because I was trying. No. To, well, maybe That's totally what times, it is. Because remember when Rocky beat Taxi Driver? Yes. You think, well, you look at the Economic Times and the Gas Wars, and people were yeah. rooting for the underdog, and I thought maybe that was the same. No, it, but you're right. I think you're right. It's no Americans love a foreign film where they show uh, lower class or poor people doing something. That, according to conventional wisdom, they shouldn't be doing. Because oh, then it's a heartwarming story about the survival of the human spirit, Jim. Here's the other thing that America loves. Here's the female version of that. Lest anybody think it's just for men. You know the female version of that movie? Uh, I forget who said this. One of my friends might have said this or something. It is what I call my eccentric ethnic family and their sumptuous traditional foods. <laughs> and that is the... That every... I mean, that is my big fat Greek wedding. That is uh, 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 Chocolat. That is the, Jesus, what was the one I was just watching the other day? And it, it's like a, um, it was a Korean family. It's the same thing. Eccentric Korean dad who, you know, communicate. And it's, you know what it is? Every movie like that, it's three generations of women in a kitchen at the same time making a, sumptuous, a sumptuous ethnic dish while they talk about men. And that is every 18 months, there is a movie with grandmother, mother, and daughter, and the mother and daughter don't quite get along, and the grandmother wishes they could, but at the end, they're all brought together because they've made a bowl of something from the old country. And it's then, like Divine Secrets of the Yaya. Totally. It's exactly <laughs> what it is, except that it's cornbread in that movie. Mm -hmm. And the food and the family thing, there is a, a anthropological thing that goes on. Food means love. Yeah. That's, that's where you gather. Yeah. So it's just, anyway. All right. On that note, uh, we're, we're way, way long here, but... Um, I apologize. No, 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 it's totally us. It, it's not you, Jim, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> He's breaking up with you. Uh, but I'll thank you at the Oscars. I'll thank you and my wife. Uh, <laughs> all right, on that note, sir, go get some sleep someday. I promise. All right, thank you, sir. Alrighty. All right, there you go, Jim Rope. We'll take a break. Back after this with Lisa Desjardins.
Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Coming up uh, in just uh, moments from now, CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins will join us. Later on, uh, the Oregonians, Peter Carlin, more with Chuck Knopf and so forth. It's 503 Just uh, read this one email. It says, hey, about Darcel and Sarah, don't feel bad. Uh, he slash uh, she slash whatever screamed at me for, quote, talking, end quote, the last time we went to ourselves and I didn't say a damn thing. Uh, let's see. So do you think it's just part of his bit? Um, Does he do that to somebody, like, each I, time? I, I don't know. Uh, or maybe it's just, who knows? I mean, I, I have no, but it doesn't seem to be an isolated experience. So, uh, let's see. And then this says, uh, maybe Darcel has mascara poisoning. So there you go. <laughs> uh, welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show. From the Hill... CNN radio correspondent to the stars, Lisa Desjardins. Hello, how are you today? Well, hello there. Uh, so it doesn't uh, didn't say you're actually working today, and yet here you are. Oh, you know what it is? Is sometimes I guess I'm not on the morning. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how it works, but sometimes I, they just don't put me on the morning prep sheet. For, I don't know why. I see. But I'm really here. I don't know. Let me ask you this. That's the request situation, I guess. Is the uh, is the CNN radio daily events calendar, which I call the prep sheet, is that made by people in this country, or is this outsourced? <laughs> is it outsourced? <laughs> it is made by um, people who are going on a real lack of sleep very often, you know, usually, usually at 3 or 4 in the morning. Let me just say this. I just talked to Jim Rupp about the Oscars, and I said, when's the last time, uh, you know, how much sleep did you get last night? And he goes, I haven't gotten any yet. So, I should have, yes. Jim Rupp is, and you know what? Bring in the flawless professionalism, at, you know, which is the hallmark of CNN radio broadcasters. I'm just saying, if Rube can do it, whoever writes this thing can figure out who's working and who's not. It seems to me, but I don't, I don't wish to nitpick. I hear, I hear, or maybe they, maybe they had some other plans for me today that changed. I, I don't know. You never know. I suppose that's oh, on the totem pole. What with these tumultuous economic times, I guess. So that's true. Like the yeah. other, can I just tell you this? Like the other day, I went to go to my office to do something or other, and I got the key in my ring, and I put the key into the lock. And I turned it, and it's, it's a door that I think was not originally in that frame. It's a replacement door that so doesn't fit perfectly. But anyways, there's a weird thing of, like, for a moment, it seemed like the key didn't work. And in this building and in this industry, your key doesn't work. That's when you're like, oh, God, I didn't even back up my last few shows on the CD. I didn't even save my, I didn't save my Outlook contacts. So, all right. I had some coupons in there. <laughs> exactly. Can I have those free radio T-shirts? I'm going to be so cold this, this winter with no heat. Um, hey, so. Hey. Chandra Levy, that's a uh, that's a name from oh, yesteryear. It was Washington Radio this weekend was nonstop Chandra Levy. If I were Gary Condit, I would sue everyone. I would literally, I would file a lawsuit that is against people, uh, just against people and everyone with a microphone. <laughs> everyone who smirked. Everyone who, yeah, anyone who even listened or discussed the case. Because for those who don't know, so the deal was that Chandra Levy was, wait, who was she? I mean, what, what, what did she do? Chandra Levy was a Capitol Hill, in, Capitol Hill intern. At the time of her death, she was actually working for the Federal Bureau of Prisons. But we know that she also had had an affair with Congressman Gary Condit. And and there were a lot of rumors flying at the time of her death, at the time of her disappearance, actually, because remember her body was not found for quite a long time. Was a guy walking his dog found it, right? Right, and it was a year later. And so there, her disappearance, there were a lot of oh, maybe she was pregnant, maybe the congressman, you know, kidnapped and killed her to cover this up. And and so he he was definitely the number one 
suspect for a long time in kind of people's minds. Well, and the, but let's, we should be clear that he was never a suspect. He legally. was never. You're right. That's thank you for saving us all from another from a lawsuit which yeah. you yourself are promoting. Yeah. The uh, the yeah. <laughs> I, I yeah. The, he was never ever officially a suspect. He was never an official police suspect. But it was like the thing. It was like with the Ramsey parents. Yeah. You know, where everybody was like, oh, but come on, we he all was know. A person of interest, exactly. Yeah. There was sort of there was a cloud over his head, for sure. He always said that he was innocent, and now the news has broken that uh, D.C. police are getting ready to make an arrest. CNN has a source. I don't know who the source is because it's it's not. I have I didn't break this story, but CNN is saying we have a source close to the investigation, saying that it was actually a Salvadoran immigrant, a man named Ingmar Guandiki or Guandique, I guess, uh, who, who at the time of Chandra Levy's disappearance, he, he was already under suspicion and I believe had been, he was late, not long after charged in the disappearance of two other women um, in the same park where Chandra Levy was thought to have disappeared from. But because of this whole subplot with a congressman that this young woman had been involved with, apparently the police didn't pay attention to the fact that there was um, a man who had been assaulting women in that same park. Now, he has not been charged with this crime yet, this man, Ingmar Guandique, but um, our sources are telling us that he is the suspect and that he will be. Um, He's now in prison uh, for a 10-year sentence for those two other assaults. And again, we're just waiting for charges to see what happens next. What's new in this case, we don't know. What is Gary Condit up to these days? What, you know, I don't know that, actually. I'm not sure what kind of line of work he's in. I mean, I always figure it's consulting, which means nothing, but that's what those guys always do, right? Or they're on the board of something or other. That is very likely. That's very likely. He he was a California congressman, but I believe he is living in a different state now. I've got to check that. I'm not sure. Yeah, and then, ah, uh, never mind. I was going to say <laughs> something creepy, but I'll wait till you're off the, uh, off the phone. Okay. I don't want you to be exposed to my creepiness. Okay. I was just... Uh, uh, now you've got to say it because it sounds even creepier exactly. if you don't say it. <laughs> no, no, no. It has nothing to do with you. It's just I sometimes feel bad that you have to uh, sit there and hear me say these awful things. I was just going to say it's just the, you know, and it's like the weirdest, uh, and it's just the weirdest mix of emotions because uh, because Chandra Levy was just uh, was a, a, an attractive young lady. Uh, I just, uh, I found her, it's like that one photograph they always show of her. Where she's got, you know, she's got the, always the one, right. The, yeah. That's the thing. It's like with Monica Lewinsky. I mean, right now, I'll tell you right now, Monica Lewinsky, there's two photos you remember of her. One is her at the rope line hugging Bill Clinton. Right. The uh, Where she's got the beret on. Can you imagine being the intern that found that, just going through all these rope line videos, and suddenly, oh, my God. Seriously, it's like right. being that guy who photographed Mount Ararat and saw Noah's Ark. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's exactly like that. Um <laughs> I was I was thinking of and the uh, and the other one is that awful unflattering photo of Monica Lewinsky that looks like it was taken the senior year of high school where she's got the weird it's like the Jennifer Aniston haircut with like a flip at extreme, the bottom extreme yes yeah but it's it's, it's not a good photo I, I'm a Pre- fan of hers but yeah. uh, and I think Monica Lewinsky is a good looking girl I see you and me both sister yeah. it's a, there's a small club you and me and the president uh, <laughs> Basically. So, which really, I mean, at this point, I mean, uh, look, I don't mean to, it's not my business to speculate, but I'm saying the Monica Lewinsky uh, is hot club is three people, you, me, and Bill Clinton. (laughs) And I think I can reasonably say that uh, at least one of those people probably isn't interested in anything more than like an aesthetic sort of appraisal sense. And Bill Clinton, I think, probably won't return her calls at this point. (laughs) So that puts me in the running. Like, I'm first in line. Um, and she went to school here. Congratulations. You know, wow. and yeah, she went to school in Portland. So I got that. Oh, I didn't know that. Hey. 
She went to Lewis and Clark. Whereabouts of Gary Condit? Condit, after he got out of Congress, get this, he opened up two Baskin-Robbins in Arizona, in Glendale, Phoenix area. Arizona. He, he then... <laughs> Good for him. He then lost them because he oh. owed them 14000 They took the franchises away, oh. and who knows what he's doing now. Oh, geez. <laughs> Nothing but bad luck for that guy. Wow, that is rough. That is a tough... Geez, he went from the, you know... The heights just he fell. he couldn't open it he couldn't run a Baskin Robbins apparently not <laughs> that is almost biblical that that fall from the powers you know, yeah the power. that's like a Greek punishment or something Jesus. <laughs> all right well I was just gonna say that there's that every time there's one of these things there's the one photograph they show like Fawn Hall there's this one shot of her leaving the courtroom with these thigh high brown boots on um, and there's the one <laughs> shot of uh, 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 from my hometown, by the way. Really? Yes. My brother went to high school with her. Well, there should be like a who's who of like, uh, you know, uh, like female sidekicks, uh, you know, who are responsible <laughs> for like powerful men being, you know, falling. Um, like at the Oscars last night, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind them actually having five of those people introduced and just walk out on stage. So you get together. Monica Lewinsky, you get uh, Fawn Hall, you get Fawn Donna Hall, yeah. Rice, you get Jessica. Uh, um, um, uh, uh, um, yeah. Jim, Jim Baker, oh, Jessica Hahn. Come on, Jessica Hahn, Jim Baker, Marla Maple. Marla Maple. Wow. Bam! There you go. Done That's and done. Group. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, and like the picture of Donna Rice is that thing of her sitting on Gary Hart's yeah, lap, only one. where he's got that big grin, like I'm an idiot on the boat. Right? I have no idea how bad my life is about to get. Look at me <laughs> on my boat, the monkey business. And yes, Jesus. yes. Well, I mean, this raises a question though in my mind: when something like this happens, when you've got you know, oh, the Ramsey family, in your mind, how do you proceed now? Do you generally assume when the cloud of suspicion is over someone's head? Do you generally think they're guilty, or at this point, are you like, I don't know? Wait, do you mean now that it's gone? or Yeah, yeah. If, if a new case popped up tomorrow, you know, and said this person was having this affair with another, but doesn't look good, or, you know, whatever. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, you just sort of figure, like, I guess the thing with Gary Condit, you know, he's you know he's a good-looking guy, powerful guy at the time. Um, like, the idea that I should be... I mean, because uh, let's be honest, we're going through a little bit of uh, a variation on this in, in Portland right now with uh, with our mayor. Indeed. The idea that I'm supposed to be uh, surprised that a good-looking, powerful guy, especially a politician, let's just—I mean, you got to have a certain set of characteristics to become a politician, anyway, right? And I would say I don't think I'm speaking out of turn here. I just might pop psychology, but I don't think it's so crazy to say you got to have probably a certain mix of character traits to per, to be a professional politician, especially one with any degree of success. And I would say probably one of those traits is a very aggressive sort of, you know, alpha kind of a thing, a very like a testosterone, for lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. So if in 2009 I am expected to still be surprised or shocked or horrified or disappointed when a politician uh, used the fact that he was a politician to get laid and then lied about it, <laughs> it's just not going to happen. I just sort of assume that's the case. With like, I assume everybody's on the take. But, but, but then you, you know, assume that he was that such a person was responsible for killing. Oh no, but you see, know what I mean. Like, where, where do but you... But that's my thing. It doesn't make me any more inclined to, to assume that he would ever have had anything to do, which clearly they say, no, he didn't, but I... Right. But at, even at the time, I never thought that it made... Like, that isn't, that isn't even circumstantial evidence to me. It was. It was, it was just a, a, a complete assumption. It yeah, was because, a complete, yeah. Yeah, because, that, because to me, it's like that's just implied. It's like, you know what it is? It's like when Heather Locklear filed that lawsuit divorcing Tommy Lee who, you know, at the time was the touring drummer for Motley Crue. And she's like, and he was unfaithful to me. And I, and I said, and I remember actually asking the television, I said, really? 
Like to the TV as Heather Locklear is bitching that Tommy Lee, uh, you know, had relations while on the road with Motley Crue. It, like it just goes with the territory because I think the characteristics that make one a rock star are probably the characteristics that uh, personality-wise that lead you to become a successful politician. We're big and we're talking about two different things. You're I, talking about kind of, uh, you know. But I'm saying when when the whole when you know the business of Chandra Levy, hey, she's missing, and hey, look now here's her remains, she's dead. Ooh, she was having an affair with Gary Condit. Like, you know, because that seemed to be the sole, very, very narrow pinnacle on which they were putting this whole upended pyramid of suspicion over Gary Condit. Or for that matter, when a child is missing, like, you know, we've got this story now and and you kind of the the parent, you you look at the parents, especially when you've got sort of a a, a 20 year old mom. And, you know, and I can't even I I don't cover this case. I don't remember the full names. Is it uh, what's the four little girls name is anyway. And, and, you know, the mom says she's innocent, but she seems like she's a little off. Well, see, but I think that's just a matter of statistics, though, where, uh, you know, when a kid is killed, I think it's overwhelmingly the parents who do it most of the time. I mean, I, I may be wrong about that, but it seems like right, a thing like that I've read. Is, but, and, but similar in Chandra Levy, actually, that you know, overwhelmingly, when anyone is killed, it is overwhelmingly someone who knew them versus a Salvadoran mm-hmm. immigrant who now our sources say will be charged. And the student becomes the teacher. <laughs> well played, Lisa Desjardins. To bring it all back around, there's that one photograph they always showed of Chandra Levy where she has like the, the, the dark curly hair, right. and then she is... And it's like a bad, again, like a bad college photo or a bad high school senior photo. And she's got blue jeans, and she's leaning, so many times I've seen it, blue jeans, she's leaning forward, and she's got, it's not like a wife beater, but it's like a tank top kind of a thing. Uh, oh, yes, yes. And really, she's just just unbelievably uh, hot looking. And so that's weird, because she's dead. So and, by, and was dead the first time I saw that, like the first time I ever saw the photograph. Uh, she had already, I think they found her body somewhere. So I go, ooh, she's she's good looking. Oh, wait, I shouldn't say, oh, it's wrong, you know. And then you just feel awkward about it. It's a whole tangled confluence of emotions. It yeah, is, I shouldn't have yeah. ever said that. I shouldn't have even alluded to that statement. Hey, did you watch the Oscars? Hey, I did, you know what I have to say? I thought it was one of the better shows I've ever seen. Hugh Jackman, I have to say, it, the, the evening got more and more bloated as it went on. He, yeah. though, he was good. And I think it's if they talented man, yeah, and did you notice that they took a lot of the awards nobody cares about, and they put them into, they consolidated them into blocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like was, you know, I'm, not, I'm not saying these jobs aren't important. I'm saying they're not sexy. You know, they're not they're not big audience uh, grabbers. Like you know, a post production, sound editing, and no one cares. And so they took a five of those, and they would just get them all done at once, which is a great step forward. Yeah, I th- I completely agree with that, and I also have to say. Once, once the guy came up to take his award and said, you know, Domo Arigato, Mr. Robot. Dude, how great was that? This is going to be a great night. I mean, Were you getting the sense that that guy, he had directed the best foreign short or something? Yeah, and, or yeah. best short in general. I can't remember. I mean, yeah, and he's, uh, so he comes up and clearly, uh, you know, he, he's a Japanese guy, doesn't speak all that much English. with his English, right. And I got the feeling that he didn't even really know what he was saying, that he had just been, he learned phonetic phrases. <laughs> You know, which is well, which is what like you know, like that's what like uh, uh, rock bands do when they right. go that to another country. Great. And so I think he must have learned some frenetic phrases because he said, you know, I want to thank animators, I want to thank you know producers, blah blah blah. And then he said, and finally, Domo Arigato, Mr. Roboto. And all the awkwardness about like, oh God, he can't speak English and I don't understand him, but I can't say I don't understand him because it makes me look like an ugly American. Right. Because that's the thing, like. You're um, never supposed to admit that you can't understand someone's <laughs> accent in this country because then it's like, then all your white liberal guilt just caves yeah, in I, on you. I, yeah, yeah. And when he said that, it was like all the tension went out of the room. And I think we had a we had an event. Sarah and Tim Riley and myself were all hosting an Oscar watching event. Oh, that's great. It was fantastic. And when he said the Domo Erogato, like we're all like, woo! 
Like everyone just completely was, you know, on on his team from that moment on. That was just the best. I was just, it was, it was the best. I, and the only semi-judgmental thing I have is I feel like I'm a big Sarah Jessica Parker fan, big fan, but I kind of feel like she's really taken this fashion responsibility too seriously. Like I, think, I could not agree more. I totally I concur with you. Yeah, see, I think, I, I kind of like her as someone that I could get a beer with as well. I, what do you? She's just she's so haughty now. What do you? Seems. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's the thing, because uh, I have a Y chromosome, I'm going to have to ask you guys what you mean by that. I don't. <laughs> she's understand. just slowly like uh, has always tried to distinguish herself from not being Carrie Bradshaw, when in right. fact now she has become yeah. Carrie Bradshaw. Really? Exactly. Mm. She used to seem to be like your kind of aw shucks girl on Broadway. It's kind of like. She kind of seemed a little goofy, maybe even a little awkward at times. But but she could wear a killer heel, and she you know she you could kind of relate. She was every girl. I really couldn't relate last night. Yeah, really... now she's like just trying to be Glamazon all the time. Yeah, she seemed really... Glamazon. Did you just make that up? I love it. <laughs> that's true. I think that's right, Sarah. And even she kind of even seemed like she she I don't know like yeah I'd, I'd rather be sitting out there watching this really. <laughs> I don't know. It was weird. I don't know. That's and she did also look very uncomfortable standing next to um, Matthew Broderick. Because she's yeah, like, yeah, look, look we still it. love each other. I know he's a cheating bastard, allegedly. But I mean, look, <laughs> look how happy we are. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. Jeez. I, I always assumed, uh, never mind. Now I feel bad. Never mind. I'm going to sit down. Uh, yeah, Sarah, uh, I think we're on the same page here. Yeah. I think I'm on a different Silent page, down. but a page that also shouldn't be discussed. Um, I always, never mind. Well, no, I, I, no, 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 seriously. And I'm not going to even reference it because I'm not even going to talk about it. I, I had a whole other thing I was going to talk about, but you know what? I'm going to stop it right there in its tracks. Um, <laughs> hey, uh, you saw Frost Nixon, right? Awkward. No. I Come on. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. It's like Kastenbaum hasn't seen a single one of the nominated films. Um, oh, no, I'm better than that. But, no, this stimulus bill really derailed me. And now we've got the freaking omnibus. I've got another, you know, like 800-pager <laughs> to read tonight. It's ridiculous. Okay, you, at some point, you got to see Frost Nixon. I saw it it's three really times. It's good, huh? I saw it three times in a row. It is, uh, I mean, not on the same day, but, I mean, it's, just, it's fantastic. It's so good. And okay. you will probably do the same thing that everybody else did. For the first ten minutes, Lan, uh, Frank Langella as Nixon will be weird. But it then is, in the previews, it seemed a little weird to me, actually. It is weird, especially because uh, I'm a huge fan of Anthony Hopkins Nixon, mm. and he is really not definitive, but very good. Um, so for the first ten minutes, you're going to be like, I don't know, this is the guy that played Skeletor. It's sort of weird. Uh, and then at about the ten minute mark, it'll just click, and then you will never question it again for the rest of the. And you know what? Every time I watched it, it was actually the same. First ten minutes, I'm like, I don't know if he's Nixon, and then something happens. And you suddenly your brain just switches over, and you're like, he's Nixon, and he it totally works. Oh, I can't wait to watch it. It's a great film. Watch. It really is. It's it's quite something. So okay, done. Right. On that note, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, geez, thank you. It was All delightful. Right. All right, Lisa, we will talk to you very <laughs> soon. Have a good day. Right, there you go. And this next hour is going to be Chuck Sauer. <laughs> okay. I got the friggin' omnibus to read tonight. Who <laughs> says Lisa? Eight hundred pages of legal stuff. What? I was thinking that somebody from CNN said friggin' omnibus. <laughs> All right. Hello, Chuck Knopf. How are you? I am excellent. And here's a story that sort of slipped under the radar, but I think it affects everybody. Now, can we... Are we taking a break? We're taking a break here. Okay. Ooh, it's a right tease. It's a tease. Do you want to yes. tease it? Do you want to tease it with, like, one sentence? Um, you'll feel better. That's not a sentence. It's close. <laughs> okay. Back that after this with Chuck Knopf, ladies and gentlemen. Don't go anywhere. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Right. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Uh, Richie Bristol, can you obtain Peter Carlin from the Oregonian? That'd be ever so splendid if you could Chuck do that. just said the greatest thing. He well, just said it because we're talking about how you know, crazy we all were. 
And then he's like, if you pay peanuts, you get monkeys. <laughs> so we were talking about how uh, when we're in the studio, so Sarah is running the board, which means she's controlling all the sound, all the mics, all the whatever. And then I'm, uh, you know, and Chuck is holding it down with the news and bringing information. And I really have the simplest job of all. They give me a total of, I mean, really, when all, all is said and done, essentially just three buttons. I have an on-off. Yeah. I have a mute, which lets me do this in case I have a cough. That. Uh, I don't I, even have that. And then I have the, the dump button, uh, which is for when Ketzel Levine is here. Oh, I thought and, maybe you wanted to go to the bathroom. No. <laughs> Sorry. It was, it was there. I had to go. I had to use it. I, again, I'm digging a deeper hole. Just tur- cut me off, Sarah. <laughs> no. The more flustered people get, the more hilarious. <laughs> All right, then. Anyway, so I'm saying I'm just basically a trained monkey where, you know, I, you know, Sarah's the organ grinder and I'm the monkey. And she, you know, and I just turn on the mic and I go, blah, 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 Battlestar Galactica. And then whatever. I couldn't run my own board if my life uh, depended on it. And so I said that I am basically just a trained monkey. And you said? <laughs> you, you, you pay peanuts to get monkeys. You know? No, no, wow. <laughs> uh, before we welcome Peter Carlin, I, I should clarify something here. And I, I felt like an ass. Everybody who listens to me knows I have this whole thing about how I can't remember names. Yeah. And I just feel guilty about it all the time. I get all this Catholic guilt. Like the guy, and by the way, we did get the winner's name right, Sarah. Uh, ben is awesome. the guy. Ben was at Oscar Night America 2009. He, uh. That's the hot mom. Just say it. The one with the hot yes, mom. the one with the hot mom. Uh. And she looks all like a, like a princess or something. She looked, I swear to you, she looked just like Shirley Jackson in, like, The Music Man, maybe? Oh. Or. Shirley Jones. Shirley Jones, Shirley Jackson. She looks like Shirley Jackson, <laughs> Jackson when she was stoning people to death in a small New England town after drawing their name on a slip of paper. Um, anywho, uh, and I know it was a dot on a piece of paper, not their name. Don't email me about it. Uh, the, uh, or she looked like Shirley Jones. If you've seen the movie Tombstone uh, with, uh, you know, the Tombstone with uh, um, Dana Delaney. Dana Delaney has that scene where she gets out of a stagecoach and she's got the great hat and whatever. She looked like Shirley Jones. In that Dana Delaney outfit. He says, Rick, this is the winner. He's the guy who called up on Friday and did like four minutes from the Matrix flawlessly from memory. And he was in a tux looking good. He said, Rick, you have my name right. It's Ben. Thanks for the kind words about my mother, but it is strange to hear anyone talk about my mom, uh, who was hot. Uh, she had a blast, as did I. Rock and roll. Also, Penelope Cruz plays Sophia in both Vanilla Sky and the Spanish original, which is uh, Abre los Ojos. So uh, there you go. All right, fantastic. It's uh, 503-733-2970. One more tiny bit of business, and then I will uh, welcome Peter Carlin. I mentioned that last night I went right from the Oscar thing to uh, Storm and Davies Studios, where I, I did some sort of just incidental uh, backing stuff, uh, vocals for this song about vagina. Uh, along with uh, such luminaries as Sam Adams. And I couldn't remember the names of the other singers, and I always feel like a jerk when I do that. Um, uh, Storm says the other boys are Mark Aceto, who's the, she puts parenthetically, opera guy. And I don't know if he's like an actual, like, a, I don't know if his whole deal is like he, just sounding fantastic and glorious on recordings, but that that's, he is, he's one of those guys where like he opens his mouth to sing, and you realize it's one of those things you've only ever heard on record or in movies. It is actually the opera voice, but it's like a foot away from you. And it's a surreal experience. It's so beautiful. Uh, Floyd uh, Sclaver, I believe is pronounced. Jim Broomberg, Scott Weddle, and uh, Jonathan uh, Newsom, uh, who's a big listener. So, uh, all right. So there you go. Thank you, Storm, for clarifying that. So Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show, with a heart full of hate and a head full of pinatas, uh, it's Peter Carlin from the Oregonian. Hello, sir. Hi, man. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am fantastic. What's going uh, on? Did you watch the Oscars? Nope. 
<laughs> not a second of it, man. I went out to see Coraline instead. <laughs> not a second of it. I like you just not you you did not watch it with extreme prejudice. Yeah, I kind of you, you know, hella didn't watch it. Huh? Nothing. Uh, yeah, you know, I've seen enough of that stuff. If you want to you really want to know. And it didn't bode well, you know, Hugh Jackman and singing and dancing and all that nonsense. I mean, what do I need that for? <laughs> Plus also, you know, I mean, I don't know. It just didn't, there was nothing particularly inspiring about it. Plus I'd watched the Oscars for pay for like eight years in a row. And it was just like, you know, man, I feel like I could probably catch up on this like in the paper tomorrow or the Internet. And, uh, and then I, my life would still be feel complete to me. This is like like an interesting sort of uh, this is like one of those things they do on the internet where they'll they'll take a whole film and they'll show it in 30 seconds. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like you know Glengarry Glen Ross in 30 seconds done by bunnies or what? something. Yeah. Like we've gotten the whole discussion done now in like eight seconds. You're like, no, not a second. Watch Coraline. Screw the Oscars. Never gonna watch them again. F them. No, I didn't say I was never gonna watch them again. I was just like, you you're know, taking a break. I'm not gonna watch them this year. I will say. Well, let me just give you the uh, some of the beats, as they say. Um, it started off really, really well. Actually, Hugh Jackman was quite good. He had a great sort of easy charm, and the opening act was sufficiently stripped down, and and, and I would say had a, was legitimately was legitimately entertaining without being bloated. But of course, the problem is that there were a lot of other great high points. There really were, but the show. The show is very much like this pyramid that started off streamlined and you know, cons- you know sort of tightened up, but it became more and more and more bloated as the night went on. So it did have a really promising start. I think a lot of people have written that today, that the this, this show started off on the right foot, mm-hmm. but it just, as time went on, they kind of fell back on some of their, you know, the old tropes of just how they, how they do that. What um, I always like is like when they have some famous a glamorous person with an interesting backstory who gets up on stage to accept an award with tears in their eyes, and they're on the verge of saying something interesting, and then they hustle them off the stage so they could do the award for the Foley walking. You know? The, it's like they, uh, they did a great thing where they took all the awards, and I, I keep saying their awards nobody cares about, but you know what I mean. They're, they're, they're not... Technical awards. Yeah, the technical awards, which... are important, which, but nobody cares about them. That's the thing. It's like the average, you know, the average uh, the viewer just doesn't really care about the guy who did some post-production, uh, you know, like uh, film stock matching or something. Which is... Exactly. And, and, then, and then every year when I would make that same observation in the paper, I would get an email from the same guy who, like, God love him, probably does, like, a, a great job working in the film industry and living in Portland and for whatever reason reading the Oregonian and every year I would write that and every year he would flip and send me an e- send me an email which basically amounted to I hate you I hate you I hate you which is like I get it you know this is like your life these are your people this is the world that you that you care about that's super important to you but man it's just like you know I just don't uh I you know it's just I'm sorry it just it doesn't stack up to uh to, to Mickey Rourke, like, flipping out on stage. That's what people want to say. Well, I mean, like, yeah, look, I mean, every, nobody's trying to diminish uh, the job that anybody does. I mean, all the jobs are important. But but the Oscars, are, but the thing about the Oscars is it's like it's a TV show. Yeah. I mean, it's, an, it's supposed to be entertainment. And so, but what they did this great thing of they didn't uh, eliminate that thing, but they, they consolidated it to where somebody would come out and they'd do, like, five in a row, like, bam, 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 done. And it was, and it didn't feel rushed, but it did. Like that was a big. I will say this: I thought this year's Oscars were a big step forward. If they can do like two more evolutions, mm. it's going to be exactly what it needs to be. Did they roll the accountants out? They did not roll the, the accountants official, out. The, the official representatives. They did from not. Douchebag and Tremaine <laughs> they, come out and 
and and wave and 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 pretend to carry out something important. They actually didn't. They did not bring out the uh, Price Waterhouse Coopers or whoever uh, to to repeat their lie about how nobody knows the outcome, uh, which is clearly a falsehood. Uh, nor did they do the thing when they were introducing uh, you know best supporting actor actress. They didn't do the thing where like they show like a 13 second film clip, then they show the person watching it, then they applaud. They didn't do that either. What really? Because I kind of like the film clip. No, in your face. They did see, see. See? Good thing I didn't watch. Now, that's what I'm saying. It would have angered you even further, Peter. Plus, Carlin. what about all my friends from Douchebag and Tremaine? That's the reason I watch. I want to see them on stage. <laughs> was something that you like snubbed last night or something, or did you just feel like the popcorn at the Coraline showing wasn't quite as good as it ought to have been? I, I um no I'm just here here's the thing I'm working on a on a this isn't uh, awesome, really happy. angry I'm really happy to be talking to you right now because mm -hmm. I'm trying to write like a really big story so it's like and when I'm in the midst of that process it, it's like it the creativity in me comes from the anger so the anger I have to spend all the time getting the anger out onto the surface they did this great thing with Gene Simmons last night where they finally acknowledged that he's a better songwriter than Bob Dylan. <laughs> I was about to go. I was about to get going on Gene Simmons, and I had this. It just popped in my head. I said somehow the that never before in the English language have the words great thing and Gene Simmons been in the same sentence. See, I'm trying to inspire you now. I know. I love that. I'm though. like a reverse muse. That's pretty it? awesome. I, I like that. You went right for my button, and boom! I was I was ready to go. I'm a muse full of hate. Uh, you know, I mean, so it's not like I'm uh, you know I'm not like a Mira Sorvino or something. I'm the opposite muse. I'm the one who just fills you with righteous anger. Uh, well, so you, can... you almost had me exp when you were describing being at that thing last night with uh, all those cool people, many of whom are my friends, but then also the current uh, temporary mayor of Portland, who I'm um, sort of less uh, 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 less sort of uh, up on. You're not the day. secretary of his fan club? Somehow, no. I don't know why not. <laughs> I have a hard time. I don't know. It was, uh, it was quite something. And it, it did have this weird... Live Aid kind of thing because I went there because Sarah and uh, Sarah Dillon and Tim Riley and I hosted the the Oscar screening at the Hollywood Theater. So I mean, I've told the story already today, but but I went right from there to uh, to the studio, and so I made my tux, and so I'm there in a tux singing a song about um, a, a sensitive portion of the female anatomy. Uh, you know, in my my big dumb rock voice, uh, like I get in a tuck, you know, and then you know, the, like the chorus of voices behind me includes, you know, uh, uh, Marcosito. He was an you know an opera singer. Marcus is a brilliant singer and a really really nice guy, and Floyd too, and Jim Brunberg as well. See, and so I got this Rick. Uh, this is from our friend Rob. Uh, Mark is in fact a retired opera singer, has a huge voice. I can attest to that. Yeah, no doubt. He is my neighbor, and when he was actively singing, I could hear him singing around the house from 200 yards away. No kidding. Seriously, it was it was insane. It was one of those like shatters a glass uh, live voices you should have mark and uh, floyd on your show because they uh, they come as a pair for one thing and second of all they're both they're both hilariously funny and a lot of fun yeah though no, they were it was uh, they were uh, they were they were quite uh, they were quite exceptional and just uh, and just to hear the voice and you turn around and it's like coming out of not a movie not a, not a tv screen not off memorex it's coming from a real human being and it really just it's one of those moments where you realize i could work my whole life 23 hours a day, and I will never be as good at anything as that guy is at singing. You know, it just uh, he just does it. So, uh, and and oh, and I forgot about this. And he wrote the book How I Paid for College, uh, yeah. which uh, which I know many people love. So, and I haven't read it, but I know that I know a lot of people who haven't. They loved it. So, yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Peter Carlin. Was that good enough? 
Really? Are we going to are we gonna have, to, are we gonna have to, to, to work on this in post-production? <laughs> we're going we're to sweeten this <laughs> in the mix. We're going to this in post. We can, yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna, we're going to go back and we're going to lay some additional crowd noise over this <laughs> and uh, probably a children's choir. Sweeten it with a little laughter, I think, would help, too. And then we're going to auto-tune it. Over the dry parts. Yeah, yeah the auto-tune. I, I wasn't hitting my high notes. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, we're going to give it like the Kanye West, like, robo-voice auto-tune. Thank <laughs> you, beer, garland. Uh, We'll do that at the end. Uh, and my final question to you. What yeah. the hell was my final question? Wait, no. <laughs> I had a final question to ask you about something about the Oscars and the thing. And the Can I just tell fixing... you one thing? Yeah, go ahead. This is my big cultural tip. I'm only about 30 years behind on this. But uh, there's this rock group call called The Clash. They're really good. No, nah, they're not, though, is the thing. But that's okay. You are such a wanker. <laughs> I'm, just trying to, I'm trying to fuel your artistic uh, you know, r rage. I don't. I don't even. I don't think I even know you anymore. All right. Sometimes I just don't know who we are. Uh, I have something funny to say, but you know what? It probably wasn't that funny. All right. On that note, uh, you can just add it in post. <laughs> I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna make. What I'm gonna do actually is I'm also gonna put a big CGI job of the hut in front of you. All right. On that note, uh, Peter Carlin, I am uh, imagining we will uh, share a phone call again sometime in the immediate future. Hey, do you plan on watching Lost this week? Totally. Couldn't keep me away. Now, yes. is that a thing okay, you're good. just claiming you're gonna do? Am I gonna have you come on Thursday? You'll be like, well, I didn't really have a chance. I had to. I had to go, uh, you know, like moment, Simonize I, my car. I, I have no intentions other than to watch Lost. At the moment, it's on TV. All right. Hey, what did you think of Coraline? Uh, it was cool. I saw the 3D version. Of yeah, well, that's the only, you got to see it that way for that Jonas Brothers movie comes and replaces it in Portland of all places, which is weird. Um, but uh, is it, I will say this: uh, the the story and you know all of that, I'm sort of blasé about. But uh, the, but the look of the film, you know, just the, the craft of the film, and then the 3D is the best I've ever seen. That is. James Cameron wasn't lying when he said that that is the wave of the future. That 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 real 3D company. That's it's astonishing. But yeah, they're um, really. Are they the ones who did the um, the U2 concert movie? Because I, I saw that in IMAX in 3D. It's possible. I don't think this is the first thing they've done. So it seems likely they've done something like that. And I think the U2 one. You didn't see the U2 one, did you? No, of course not. That was high. No. Amazing. No, I wouldn't see U2 if Bono came to my living room and tried to sing directly to me while giving me a foot massage. <laughs> <laughs> no. Thank you, no. Such a... All right. Maybe if he was singing the clash to me. Douchebag and Tremaine. <laughs> <laughs> and we're done. Thank All you, right. Peter Carlin. later. There you go. Excellent. That's Peter Carlin. Oh, and you can tell he's like extra, you know, in an extra saucy mood. You know what? And that ended up being brilliant mm -hmm. in a way that only Peter Carlin can make something. No, and like he's... And the meaner that he gets, like, the more I just love him. See, that's the thing. So now, remind me, every time uh, we have him on, when he's on hold right before coming on, we'll have some story that we know will anger him. So, all right, there you go. It's uh, 503-733-2970. Uh, let's see here. Well, let's take a break. Yeah, let's Chuck. take a break, and then it's going to be all Chuck all you the time. You want me to tease the news again? It's going to be a... <laughs> what did you say? It'll make you feel good? It'll make you feel better. It's going to be a chuck rama when we come back. Okay. So. It's Chuck-tastic. All right. <laughs> it really is. Oh, and I and I have something that'll also make you guys feel better. So. Oh, now I need to find something to make you guys feel Two back-to-back -back stories. All right. Uh, all right, we'll do uh, this. We'll take a break. I'm back after this. 503-733-2970. Don't go anywhere. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. Email says, Rick, 
about Steve Kassenbaum's lack of movie cred. You seem shocked that he doesn't spend his life on the couch eating raw cookie dough and watching movies when not shooting zombies. Yeah. Everybody's got to be good at something, sir. Uh, let's see. This one says, Pesto Mayo, I must have. Get to that cart, I shall. Oh, my God. That sounds so amazing. Pesto Mayo, really? Yeah. Oh, it's... Uh, I'm going to eat that with everything. I forget what the place is called, but it's... I mean, look, there's only like four... four it's the potato there. something, right? It's right there. But there's only, you go... Yeah, it's at the intersection of, uh, uh, I guess... Is it 12th or 14th, or is that weird... It's on 12th. ...wonky intersection? Yes, it's on 12th, right? If you're going... Um, West on Hawthorne, and yeah. then it forces you to the right on. Oh, corner. right next to the Mercedes mm. place. Uh, but it's that big parking lot right next to the Tiny's, and there's like four. And I said trailers, but that's not really. But you know, it's like a food, like one of those like the food trucks. Yeah, I know that. Um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, one is uh, yeah, one is Mexican, one is dessert, I think. One is like like Louisiana, like Southern sort of like there's like uh, gumbo and that. Stuff. And like and catfish, they have like yeah. a black and catfish thing, which is really good. And then one is just fries. Uh, and, which is just, it's so good. And, you know, because they chop them, they cut them, uh, you know, they, whatever, they, they, they uh, fry them right there. And then it's, and it's all in the sauces, too. I mean, the fries are great, but the, the gimmick is all in the sauces because the list of sauces is like 15 long. And there's like peanut sauce, and, you know, there's like a Thai kind of sauce, and there's a pesto mayonnaise, which is what I got. And there's like all kinds of like honey sauces, really? and just, and I get hungry just thinking about it right now, and it's, you know, and there's Dijon, and then there's Hickory and whatever, but it's just, yeah, you, you I'm not uh, plugging it for what, you just got to go there. It's a great place. Um, and they're open really late there. I don't think they, I don't think they start serving till like 10 o'clock at night. And then they're open till like 2 a.m. or whatever. Because uh, we, Laura and I went there after Rockfest. That was the first time we went there, and it was just uh, exceptional. Rick, I heard your speech about a storm, and last night in Portland, uh, I am really missing my hometown, but thank you for mentioning it. Well, there you go, sir. Glad we can make that. <laughs> I'm the other emails. <laughs> oh, yeah, somebody else is, somebody else is saying, um, I heard your great speech about Portland and why it's the best community ever, and then I figured you would end it with, and we're canceled. <laughs> well, the show isn't over, so, you know, yeah. we got 22 minutes. All right, Chuck. See if I can get it canceled. Chuck, make this the last best segment ever. And now, from the CBS Radio Center in downtown Portland, this is the news. Well, I like this story. This is, uh, to me, this is what this life is about, and scientists have said that they're close to a universal vaccine for for flu, for eradicating flu. That'd be cool. Oh, that yeah. is, the vaccine is able to go to the cell or to the anti, uh, become an antibody right. and paralyze the virus from mutating. And that's been the problem because the virus mutates every generation, and so the, the antivirus doesn't have an effect. So they have found a key, or they call it the Achilles heel, to the virus that causes the flu, like the bird flu and the Spanish flu, which killed millions. That of killed people. like six million people or something yeah, in 1918? Yes, it did. Yeah. And so now they have the possibility. They've tried it in rats, and none of the rats uh, reported flu symptoms. Here's a dumb question. Here's something I wonder about. So they always have this like business of, you know, where they're working. Like they're working on like an AIDS vaccine or, you know, an HIV vaccine or whatever, and they have like, a polio vaccine. I never know how this works. How, and it kind of creeps me out even to think about it. How do they do the thing of like, well, look, there's half the people in this room. We're going to give half of them the thing that we think might stop AIDS, and the other half are going to get like a sugar pill. I mean, is it? It doesn't even seem like that's like that's like that is uh, uh, ethical. You know what I mean? Well, like, how do they do that? They don't like to do that on humans. First of all, that's that's an ethical violation. But when they get the uh, FDA to approve a drug for trials, right. And then at that point they do. But don't they have to have a control group of people yes. who are not taking the risk? So how do they? They don't tell them. But I mean, but in other words, do the. Let me put it this way: If you got thirty people in a room, yeah, volunteers, 
Ten of them are getting uh, the old vi- vaccine, which kind of works, but not really. Ten of them are getting this super brand new vaccine, which might work, but might not. Mm-hmm. Ten of them are getting like nothing. Mm-hmm. They're getting a, their placebo. Right. Do all the people in that group know that they are at risk of getting a placebo? They all know that they are in the pool. They all know that there's a possibility of the first, second, or third. Okay, so they do, they just don't know which of those they're getting, right. though. They know that there's a possibility they could be getting any one of the three. Because if they did know, there may be some But it's like a reverse. It's a reverse lotto, though. <laughs> you know what I mean? Hey, congratulations, you win, AIDS. You know, I mean, it's just like the worst... That that is just so awful to even you, contemplate. But, but you would have to have symptoms of HIV prior to. The, and I guess you would already have to be, or if it was like yes. cancer, you would already have to be in a risk group for a certain kind of cancer. Correct. All right. Okay. Well, that'd be nice enough to you know what? Because then we could go in here about the stupid flu shot every year that doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, which never works, and which I avoid. So uh, if they could just like fix it, then I'll have to hear about like, and they'll be offering flu shots in the kitchen if you would like to get sick in 60 days. So all right. Okay. Um, excellent. Uh, Flu kills, by the way. This is a little addendum to it. More than 250,000 people die worldwide as a result of flu every year. And I suspect in this country it's less because we are more hygienically clean than some cultures. Well, and it's spread from, yeah, it's like uh, airborne and also like hand-to-hand. So unless Dan Savage has been around licking your doorknobs, uh, you're going to be fine. <laughs> That's true. Uh, when you're, let me, are, you, is that, are you wrapped up with that story? I am. Because let me read this. Uh, we'll call this, we're going to file this under, hey, at least you're not one of these guys and well you can also file this under uh i don't know this is a, a generalized sort of damn that the man the headline really says it all here microsoft cuts 1400 employees then asks for part of their severance back what <laughs> i didn't like oh this my God. this is from gizmodo What's the best way to create an HR firestorm in three easy steps? If you're Microsoft, lay off 1,400 employees, give them severance, and then ask for part of it back. Better yet, let's add a step four. Make sure you do all this during one of the worst recessions in U.S. history. <laughs> Stir, repeat. <laughs> Sounds almost too terrible to be true, yet there's photographic evidence, and they had a picture of the memo here, that exists proving Microsoft overpaid some of its former employees and now wants its money back. And Oh, and some employees were apparently underpaid as well. Uh, so I'm going to read this here. It says... This is an actual letter that Microsoft sent to one of their fired, you know, now former employees. They've blacked out the names. This this is from Microsoft uh, to one of the people they fired. Dear blank, this letter is to inform you that an inadvertent administrative error recurred, uh, I'm sorry, occurred that resulted in an overpayment in severance pay by Microsoft. We ask that you repay the overpayment and sincerely apologize for any inconvenience to you. The overpayment occurred on February 13th payroll in a gross overpayment of blank dollars. The net amount you owe back to Microsoft is blank dollars. We request that, and then it's underlined, we request that you follow these repayment instructions. Please make your check or money order payable to Microsoft Corporation uh, within 14 days. Uh, and then they have the address here. Jesus. I mean, and they're like, of course, because it's Microsoft, it has this vaguely threatening air to it as well. Sort of like, you will make this payable. You will do this now. Your family will not be harmed if you obey these steps. It's just creepy. I'm wondering about the response level on that. Well, I mean, <laughs> look, I know that times are hard and they're having to lay people off, and I'm not trying to minimize the, the pain that companies are going through as well, yeah. because it's easy, to, it's easy to go, well, big, bad, you know, Microsoft, no one feels sorry for them. 
I mean, it's, companies are losing money, and Microsoft doesn't enjoy laying. Nobody enjoys laying people off. Even a company that people like to think of as evil is Microsoft. Not like Bill Gates waits like, I had to fire people. No one wants to do that. So I'm not trying to minimize the fact that it sucks for companies to have to sit down in a room and go, Look, Bob, you're out. No one wants to do that. But don't you think that? Don't you think that Gates himself would have just stepped in and gone, Like, it's going to look really bad. Look, I'll just pay for it. How much? It's like when your kid, you know, it's like when your spastic kid breaks something in the China store. Yeah. You're just going to go, look, um, <laughs> I just don't want to see. I'll, I'll pay for that. Or you know what it is? It's like when you're, you know, it's like when uh, you're, uh, Winona Ryder's, uh, you know, boyfriend, and she's compulsively shoplifting. And you're like, you know yeah, what? I yeah. Just don't call the press. And look, I'll pay you twice whatever it was, uh, you know, that she stole. I mean, I'll just give you double that. And we can call it even, okay? You figure the Microsoft would have been, but no, instead, this is like the time that I actually, um, Got hired at, I forget even when, it might have been at Fisher Broadcasting, hmm. where they hired me, uh -huh. but then somehow sent me an automated letter telling me that I hadn't been hired. Thank you for applying. Your skills are not needed at this time. <laughs> and like they already had, they're like, you'll start on That's Tuesday. <laughs> and then I go home, it's like a letter. We are sorry, but don't ever call us. We'll keep you on file. Yeah. F you. You know, and I was just like, <laughs> and I called up Bruce Agler and I was like, uh, I thought we had an understanding. It's not up to hire you know. Oh, I'm sorry, man. I'm in a technical. <laughs> stupid business office. Oh. You do a perfect Bruce Ackles. I don't know. He does. Stupid fishermen's always sending out these damn emails. Yeah. You even have the the arms. You like I'm trying to summon rain no. from the sky. You flail well. Yeah. All right, here's Chuck Knopp, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, director of the Community Services Department of Social and Health Services in the state of Washington says the state has sent out dollar checks, $1 checks to the 250,000 food stamp recipients in the state. Why do they send them a dollar? To taunt them, Chuck. Yes, part of that, and part of it is they send out the money so that next year, or the next fiscal uh, part of the year, they have record of these people receiving some money so that they qualify for a new a food stamp program. Do they, wait, do they send them a check? They send them a check for a dollar. My question would be, what's more expensive, just to send a check or just a dollar bill? That's, I mean... So is it, wait, so people are receiving food stamps. Are yes. we worried that, and by we I mean someone else, worried that they will not they be will not findable next year? They will they not won't? be qualified to accept food stamps. Because we want to have a current a, address or a something? A new grant of $43 million that will be given out uh, in the end of March, I believe. I'm I so unclear, though. Well, what is the point, what does the dollar do? The dollar, I think it is like in a contractual agreement, you have to have ah. a passage of money. Oh, okay, something has to, to change hands, and then they're then they're on record. To, to affirm it, yeah. So. It's like wiggling your mouse a little bit so the screen doesn't go dark. Exactly. It's exactly, exactly. like that. <laughs> or something. Maybe not. Right. Hey, it's a little cheaper to buy gasoline. The price fell 5.5 cents a gallon over last week. A buck 91 now, they say, nationally. Here, it's about 209 for whatever reason. Wasn't it just like a dollar eighty last week or something? It was. And, right. and last what, December? Or or the first part of December? It was a buck fifty seven, buck fifty nine. I remember last summer we were all ready. I mean I was just see here's the thing, none of these prices sound high to me because last summer we were all like, Well, they say it's gonna be six dollars by the end of August mm -hmm. and so I just sort of assumed that it would be. I mean it never was. But I figured. I'm still actually kind of surprised that it went down. Yeah, as soon as Americans were saying and experts expect Anderson this uh, gas to be six dollars a gallon and I figured that as soon as he was on TV telling Anderson Cooper, like, it's going to be $6 a gallon, that some guy in Saudi Arabia was like, hey, we can make it $6. Don't pay 6 The <laughs> fools. <laughs> I mean, I mean, really, seriously, that's like if you were to go in and, like, you know, that's like if you're haggling for something. And you tell the guy, look, I know that I'm not going to get you below $50 on this rug. 
You know, I know that I'm going to have to pay at least. And they keep, secretly, he would have sold you the rug for 20 And he could be like, hey, the American will pay $50 for the rug. <laughs> he is an idiot. You know, and I, so, well, whatever. All right, I'll just, I'll, you know, I'm going to buy gas. You paid like eight bucks for a little mini deodorant, like people will pay. And you know what? Who am I kidding? I'm not going to, I'll pay whatever they want to charge. You charge whatever you want for gas. I'm going to buy it. I'm an American. What are you going to, you know, I'm going to walk? I don't think so. And the result of people curbing their purchase of gasoline now they are starting to buy it again and uh, the uh, oil closed $39 a barrel today which it's been in that range for oh gosh two or three months and I'm wondering why the price goes up it's because more people are driving I suppose I just you know like it seems like if we're going to go throw three trillion dollars away in the Iraq war at the very least and since there's a whole wing of this country that believes it's a war for oil I mean, you know what I mean? There's there's all of these people who, who just are convinced that we went to war in Iraq for oil. So it's like you've already irritated those, you know, that faction anyway. There's a whole bunch of people already pissed off because they think the war was for oil. So since, like, everybody who's a member of MoveOn.org, by which I mean my wife, is convinced that it was a war for oil, you're like, you've lost that public relations battle anyway. So let's just take it while we're there. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like we've already gotten the bad flack for it. So it's like we've gotten all of the uh, the negative publicity about taking the oil without actually taking any of the oil. Uh, so it seems like you know we might as well on the way out. That'll be like a reverse door price. Sorry yeah, yeah, for breaking exactly. your country. Now we're taking yeah. your oil. Have a good time. <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, U.S. Uh, talked about spending money. We will spend. We will send more than nine hundred million dollars to help rebuild Gaza. Remember what the Israelis blew up and tore up and everything that insanity. I'm, uh, can we just have some sort of a sign? The, like a you break it, you fix it thing. On, on I mean, I'm it, thinking that. And that goes for us, by the way, because I'm aware that, however poorly Iraq may have been running, uh, you know, before. How, look, however slowly the trains may have run uh, and erratically the trains may have run in Iraq, at least they had trains and not bits of smoldering metal everywhere. They didn't even really have trains at this point. It's like one flaming erector set that has just been scattered all over the entire country. So we ought to be for fixing that. But from now on, and I'm looking at you, Middle East, everyone, uh Fix it yourselves. <laughs> Fix it yourselves. And I'm all for us just uh, putting up a huge, massive, impenetrable by nuclear weapons shield over the country for just not forever. Not like some Pat Buchanan isolationist thing. I think that what we got to do is we got to give like a six month warning. And we're going to be like, look, here's the deal. For six months, uh, we're going to put a huge, uh, impervious shield over the United States. And we're all going to hide out for j just a little while. And then we're going to let things resolve themselves. Uh, you know, it's like, it's like how, um, you know, it's like if you have two roommates who are dating and they're having a huge fight and you're like trying to watch TV and it's like, meanwhile, she's screaming into him and he's screaming to her and you're like, you know, F it, I'm just going to go to the movies. And you're like, and you go to the movies and then you go to Del Taco and then you come home because you figure <laughs> by the time I get home, one of them will probably be in jail uh, or passed out and then the argument will be over and I'll have missed it. So we're just going to put up a huge shield and say, look, look, it was six month warning. Everybody who wants to be here in America, you got six months to come back home. We're going to put up the shield, and then we're just going to stop helping everybody. We're going to stop helping everybody everywhere. We're just going to say, sort it out yourselves. And then we'll come out in six months, and you know what? It'll be resolved one way or the other. You children. So, uh, all right. Uh, and we should probably break here in just a second, but you're tapping one uh, hand with your finger, which means you've got a good point to make. Hillary is in China trying to convince the Chinese to take our debt, all the trillion, the trillion dollars that Obama and the 
Okay, and the Chinese are saying, I don't know if we want to buy your debt anymore because you guys keep selling this debt, and I don't know if we... Are you saying we're a bad credit risk, Chuck? We could be running, yeah. They could be cutting <laughs> us off. Oh, there is... You're over your limit. It seems to me there is the slightest bit of evidence that the Americans do not fully intend to pay their bills. Exactly. <laughs> we have a sneaking suspicion that America may not be fiscally responsible. Yes. It is just a hunch at this point, but... Yes. All right. And... Jesus. All right, we'll take a break here. Back after this, we'll wrap it up with Chuck Knopf around the corner. Uh, some phone calls as well. Uh, don't forget, uh, for the immediate future, we'll be hearing some archival Tom Likas programs. You'll be hearing some of the best uh, from the past years of the Tom Likas show uh, for this week and uh, for the, uh, well, we'll say it for the uh, for the seeable future anyway. And more uh, permanent announcements on that uh, will be forthcoming. So that's coming up at 3. Michael Maris show at 7. Phil Hendry at 11. Stay there. You'll totally recognize. I cannot wait to watch that. We should talk about that for a moment. Can, I, can you hand that to yeah. me for a second? I, something really, uh... God damn, I love Portland. This is just the best place ever. I do, too. This is, I mean, you know, and I don't say that a lot, but it's just, it, it, it really is it's quite something, uh, this town in which we live. Um, so, last night we were at the Hollywood Theater for the Oscar night thing, again, which was fantastic. And we would, I do want to take a moment, I do want to thank Film Action. Uh, Oregon for inviting us uh, to be part of that, and they did it. Uh, you know, they they invited us about about four or five months ago. Uh, one of our listeners, uh, Bob, so his uh, partner Terry is is a part of the whole thing, and they, he's one of the brain brain trust that kind of puts it together. And they had asked us to, um, you know, to be part of it, and I said yes. And then you know, kind of everything went down in December, and it was just a weird time. And uh, but you know, it, it was a great great chance uh, for the three of us to be together. But I um. um I have to say that among all the things that happened last night, I talked last week about this movie Monster Camp, which is a documentary about live-action role-playing. Guy comes up, taps me on the shoulder last night. He's like, hey, uh, you like that movie Monster Camp? I'm like, yes, I do. And he goes, I produced that. You know, and he like shakes my hand. I'm Aaron, I'm Aaron Douglas. And here's a copy. Here's an advanced copy of my new film. So... Anyway, we'll talk so more about it. Let me borrow that. I'm going to watch that this afternoon with my friend Kelsey, who, in fact, did go to that camp. And a thousand geek hearts grow two sizes. Chuck Knopf, thank you so much for coming in today, sir. Anytime. I love it. This All is right. a great This is a great program. Well, we are glad you to are, have you. You entertain me, as, as a matter of fact. Oh, now you're uh, just trying to make me blush, Chuck. Yes, I am. You're getting redder by the moment. The one and only Chuck Knopf, ladies thank and gentlemen. You, thank you. Rick Emerson Show, produced today and every day by the lovely and talented Sarah Stillen for AM 970 The Talker. In the newsroom, Chuck Knopf. On the phone's Richie Bristol, the gatekeeper, Dave Zinn, the webmistress, Bridget from upstairs, and, of course, CBS Radio Portland marketing guru, Susan Donut with me, Reynolds. We want to thank uh, CNN Radio Correspondent Steve Kastenbaum, Lisa Desjardins, and James Roop. Uh, and Peter Carlin from the Oregonians as well. Join us tomorrow when our guests will include Don Taylor and Katie Darrell from TMZ. Uh, the best of Tom like us next. Michael Mara Show at 7 and uh, Phil Henry at 11. See you tomorrow at 10 for the recap, 11 for the show. Watch out for spores. See you tomorrow. Bye. Shiny, a slang term for great use in the television series Firefly and the movie Serenity.